The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. the 16th edition of Top Rope Nation Classics, the most recent show we have ever done on the Top Rope Nation Classics series. We're going to be looking at WWE WrestleMania 22 from 2006, which is a very interesting show for a number of reasons. Maybe first and foremost, because I was in attendance at this show. Uh, So hopefully I can share a little bit of tidbits from the weekend in Chicago that you wouldn't know from... uh, most people, you know, who have been talking about this show over the years, they'll make this one a little bit unique for you. So Kyle and Justin, I I, I think we said in, in the weeks leading up to this show, we, you know, we had the poll on Patreon. This is the one that won by only a single vote, though. But we were kind of hoping that this one would win. And so for you, Kyle, why was WrestleMania 22 a show you wanted to dissect for classics here for patrons? Well, one, because you were there and I wanted that live in-person perspective. And two, what was I doing the day of WrestleMania 22 back in 2006? Well, I was co-hosting an all-day podcast about WrestleMania 22. Yes. Yes. Uh, The more things change, the more they stay the same. (laughs) As Cinderella once sang, just enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks to uh, patron of the show, Liam O'Rourke, he actually has some of those old podcasts saved. And that WrestleMania 22 Super Show was one of them. He sent me several months ago, so I actually have that. Uh, maybe I can include some clips in this Ooh, podcast. I don't know. Tell you what, I'm <laughs> if you think of anything that I can clip, because it's a pretty long show, it's going to be hard for me to find certain clips. But Yeah, all day. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, at the end of the podcast, I'm going to talk about uh, some reasons why this was a hard show to evaluate in the moment. Uh, one of them was the fact I was completely sloshed. <laughs> Yeah, this is a it's interesting because this show has aged pretty well, I feel like, you know, we'll we'll talk about it. But like having been there at the time, I didn't feel like I saw like a remarkable WrestleMania or anything like that. But as time's gone by, I look back and I'm like, it was actually a pretty good show overall, I think. Justin Joint, um, first of all, when was the first time you saw WrestleMania 22? Did you watch this one on pay-per-view? Did you see it in the immediate aftermath? Were you in one of your dark periods? And what was going on in your life in early 2006? I was uh, full on in my second uh, wrestling fandom dark age, uh, which kind of started around WrestleMania 21. And by this, by the time this rolled around, I I don't think I was even checking results anymore. Um, So I'm excited to talk about this one just to hear uh 
you guys and your experiences with it because it was kind of an interesting watch. This was the first time I watched it from start to finish. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've, I've gone through and watched basically every match before, but never actually sat down to watch the whole thing. So, uh, it was, uh, it was very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was 22 years old. I'd never been to a WrestleMania. Always wanted to go to a WrestleMania. This was the best chance to finally go. Uh, I was in college at the time. I should have been graduating from college, but, uh, changed majors and uh, ended up doing the super duper senior route in college. By the way, speaking of college, I just hope to be treated better tonight by the Missouri Valley than my alma mater was treated by Creighton on Monday night. (laughs) Yeah. Please take it easy on me. Yeah. Yep. I was at the university of Northern Iowa. I had just switched to being a teaching major. So uh, the Monday morning after WrestleMania, I had to get back by early afternoon. There was like a teacher education induction ceremony at this performing arts center here in Cedar Falls. Yeah. So like I had to make it back in time for that. So we left pretty early the morning after, which is Justin similar to not as early, not as early as new Orleans when we went to 34, but still it was like, got to get going in the morning kind of thing. The hell is up with you. And you just need to get away from (laughs) WrestleMania as quickly as possible. Seriously. The next time I go, I'm sleeping in Monday morning, maybe stay for raw. I'm not, I'm not doing that again. What so, was your major before education, may I ask? How, how, how may I count the ways? Um, my first major was computer science. Oh. Uh, I never actually took any classes for that. It was just like my declared major. And then I switched to, uh, let's see, marketing in the business college. Also never took any classes for that. My uncle kind of scared me away from it because he majored in that. And then I went into electronic media, which was like audio video production, which oh. helps me a lot with this show. And that was i stuck with that for quite a while and honestly like if i wasn't so worried about the job market i probably would have stayed with that major but i got really worried about getting a job out of school and i needed health insurance and so i find i was just like you know there's schools everywhere there's always a school to get a job at i you know i liked history class in school so i decided to switch to being a history teacher major, you know, it was a good good decision for me. I used the uh, electronic media classes that I had already done to, I moved those to count for a minor in journalism, basically. So, yeah, I had like, I mean, wow. that, that was my senior year of college, and I was not close to done. I still had a while left. Woo! So, yeah, I switched what, majors. Wow, I, I was a poli-sci major. Don't do jack shit for me right now. Yeah. I almost like minored in that because I took 15 credit hours in political science just so I could teach government. And now they've changed the way licensure works and I could teach it with like two classes. <laughs> but I took 15 credit hours in, in political science. So I was I was I was definitely like changing course. I was working part time at Best Buy where I I remember I used to see Justin occasionally. He would come in to pick up stuff when I was working. We had worked together at a small retail store a few years before that, which is where we met. So sometimes we talk about wrestling, but uh, I, d- I didn't see you too often during that period, Justin. I just remember seeing you here and there at Best Buy. Uh, I went to Mania with a couple of friends. One who worked at Best Buy with me was a patron of the show, Tim Jensen. And uh, he Hi, went. And then my my good friend, Micah Jewell, went with me. And Micah and I like bought tickets together. Tim bought tickets with one of his friends. And you know we all kind of hung out in Chicago that weekend. We got the tickets in October. The show sold out in less than two minutes. This was the last WrestleMania held in an arena, you know, not counting the Performance Center due to the pandemic. So super hard ticket. 
Even harder, though, was the Hall of Fame, because this is when they were actually having the Hall of Fame in theaters. So if you think there's just under 20,000 people in Chicago for WrestleMania, and then the Rosemont Theater for the Hall of Fame Saturday night only sat like 4,000 people. And a lot of that was the family members of WWE personnel. If, if I remember right, like the whole ground, like the 100 level of the theater was only WWE staff and their families. And so the only tickets were in the balconies. And amazingly enough, I got tickets to the Hall of Fame at face value. I actually pulled those tickets on Ticketmaster. Wow. But I was unable to get tickets to WrestleMania. So I remember I scalped tickets to Mania got the Hall of Fame tickets face value. And I, I believe for Tim, it was the reverse. He got Mania tickets, but had to scalp his Hall of Fame tickets. Or maybe I, I'm reversing either of ours. But I think I think that's how it went. I know I had to scalp one and one I got at face value. But they were both like really, really hard tickets. And, you know, I got the WrestleMania tickets thinking I was going to see Eddie Guerrero wrestle at WrestleMania because the tickets went on sale in October. And obviously... Eddie's tragic death was in November, just a couple of weeks after that. Mm. Changed the whole feel of the show. Obviously changed the Hall of Fame. He would be inducted into the Hall of Fame. So that was a bit of a downer, knowing that Eddie wasn't going to be at WrestleMania and the whole wrestling world really mourned his loss, of course. Um, do you guys remember where you were at when you heard Eddie Guerrero passed away? How you got that news? Justin, you were out of you know out of the scenes. I don't know if you'll remember or not. but Yeah, I I got nothing on that. What about you, Kyle? I was actually at the studio of the station that I was doing the podcast at, Sports mm. Talk Cleveland. I was there, and I walked in, and somebody told me. I said, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, I remember that. I remember, you know, two years later, hearing about you know Redacted when he. Mm-hmm. Um, I was driving that. I was driving on the highway, and a buddy texted me. I remember, um, and I was, of course, you know, lifetime of terrible behavior looking at the phone when somebody texted <laughs> me, but. Um, <laughs> That's a different story for a different day, I guess. But yeah, yeah, I remember hearing it at the studio. It was, yeah, very sad, just so shocking. I was working at Best Buy that day, and I was on my break, and I sometimes would walk down. Justin will know what I'm talking about because he lives in this town, but I would walk down to the Barnes and Noble on my breaks once in a while, and I was walking into Barnes and Noble, and Tim, my friend Tim, I worked at Best Buy. He was off that day, but he called me and told me, and I answered my phone like right as I was walking into Barnes and Noble. So I'll never forget that. That's how that's how I found out. That was obviously not just because of Eddie, but that was a crazy Hall of Fame demand. I mean, is that the most anticipated Hall of Fame ever? I think so. I mean, because of Brett. Yeah. To see to see Brett Hart's return to like a WWE event was massive. Like I had to go. I had to get Hall sure. of Fame tickets, you know, and um it was pretty surreal walking into that theater because I remember like, you know, they were selling Bret Hart merchandise at a WWE show and they had like the old 97 Hitman shirt. They had like an old kind of Hart Foundation era shirt that they were selling and seeing them on the program. And like it all kind of started the summer before because it was like the summer of 05. And we talked about this with our um, SummerSlam 05 retrospective, I think a little bit that, uh, you know, Bret had signed on to the DVD with WWE in the summer of 05. So then that had come out. Then they announced it for the hall of fame. He actually appears in April of 06. So yeah, that six month period was big time transition in, in the career of Bret Hart. Wait, so why didn't he come out during the introductions during the show? There was a lot of drama about this oh, at the yes. time um, with the hall of fame itself too. 
Uh, so because Sean was going to be there and there was all this stuff in the news at the time that Brett wasn't going to appear at the hall of fame or he wasn't going to go on stage if Sean was out there. Like he wanted Sean to leave. And as I recall, Sean actually did not leave. I believe I could be wrong. This was 15 years ago, but I remember I was watching Sean on the lower level as we got to that main slot with Brett and he never left. He was there the whole time from what I recall. I don't think they ever showed him on camera. I could be wrong, but oh, yeah. How much later was it when they did the whole Brett and Sean moment in the ring on Raw? Like four years later, yeah, oh, early okay. 2010. You know, it's kind of shocking thinking about Brett being back uh, in the Hall of Fame when that wasn't even 10 years since the screw job. Mm -hmm. It felt like so long at the time. And now yeah, when I watched yeah. this back 15 years ago. I'm like, wow, this was 15 years ago. And at that time it had been, yeah, like just over eight, eight to nine years, you know, since that happened. So still a lot more recent to, to that event than we are from WrestleMania 22 right now. You know, you talked about earlier, Ryan, how when you left the building that night, you weren't sure if you had seen a great WrestleMania. I remember, you know, talking about, WWE at the time on that podcast I was doing the Bret Hart behind the scenes stuff was really the dominant story heading into this WrestleMania. Like, would he show up? Like yeah. I remember wa watching the show live. It, it's like, is Bret going to come out? You did not know. And they made the announcement and you know, answer Justin's question, why he doesn't come out. We'll talk about it at the moment in the show when we run down the show proper, but you know, he, he just took it really seriously and that's Bret Hart. Mm -hmm. he, he did not want to have this on-screen moment. He wasn't ready for it yet with WWE. Yeah, he felt as though appearing at the actual wrestling show, he couldn't do that. He would be kind of selling out still at that point. Like he he could do the Hall of Fame thing, like honor his career, but he didn't want to appear on the actual wrestling show. It was like kind of a stand he took at the time. And, and, and him and Steve Austin going into business for themselves at the expense of Hulk Hogan is to this day the greatest moment in the history of the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony. <laughs> Uh, do tell. I don't recall this. So Austin said as he was inducting Brett, quote, you know, it's funny. I was going through my bag in the back. I couldn't find something. I lost something. I went into the back looking through my bag and I found a can of whoop ass and it had Hulk Hogan's name on it. And then the crowd, right. the crowd yelled and then they, they cut to Hogan who looked very angry. <laughs> See, he's mocking, right. totally mocking Hogan. That's right. Hogan said later that he was working and he wanted to have a match with Austin based off of that comment, but no, didn't have it. Well, it, it's funny because Hogan, what year on Raw was that that he teased a match with Austin? Mm. Was that 2005? That was probably right around was right that period. Right around there, yeah. It, it was a fall thing. And he's like, what? remember, he like went and he's like, what if it was Hulk Hogan and the rattlesnake? And the crowd went wild. Yeah. But you know what? That was another thing that was kind of teased for this. It was, you know what? I'm positive it was fall of 2005 that Hulk Hogan made that comment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this card was, I mean, really in flux for a number yeah, of months. Yeah, people felt that it needed that, like, huge marquee match. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of talk about Austin coming back. And, and working at the time, wasn't there not? Like, I mean, yeah. just bullshit rumors, but people were like, I remember the guy who ran that radio station that I did the podcast on was like adamant that like Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan should be the main event of this show. And he had some dumb takes quite frankly, but like, <laughs> I, I don't think he like invented that out of thin air. 
I think this is why I think this is one of the factors why at the time I felt like I hadn't seen a particularly great WrestleMania is because I felt like it didn't have that legendary match on the card at the time. Like I knew Edge and Foley was a really good match, but it just kind of felt like it was missing something. I don't know. Like looking at we'll go through the card and it's it's a pretty strong show overall, top to bottom. But at the time I was like, oh, what's that iconic WrestleMania match? And I I didn't so much feel like it had it at the time. Yeah. At least in the main event. Well, so. you look at the the string of manias from this time period, ruthless mm -hmm. aggression for lack of a better term, like 19 to 24, they're all good. Mm -hmm. And this is probably of that stretch, I think considered by a lot of people, maybe the weakest. I don't know if that's accurate. I, I like 21 the best from that time period. That's just me. Mm -hmm. But I would put the rest of them on the same <laughs> tier. As a matter of fact, I'm going to, kind of compare a lot of those at the end of the podcast all right so we're gonna go through the show and a lot of the other factors around the show will probably come up as we we discuss the matches but uh real quickly here let's talk about the world in early 2006 as we often do on these classic shows we kind of talked about where you know all of us were at at that point in our lives justin you were you were in a dark period what were you doing uh in your personal life at the time like were you working a different job what was going on yeah, no, I was just working full time and I don't know, probably drinking too much, <laughs> Ch chasing skirts, playing video games. Yeah. Playing uh, MVP I, 2005. Yeah, exactly. I was playing a lot of MVP, but uh, no, it, it was my mid 20s were very unproductive. Yes. I was hitting the bars. I was 22. I was hitting the bars pretty hard in early 2006. And if you yeah. were to go into the bar in, uh, April of 2006, the number one song on the chart at the time was uh, Be Without You by Mary J. Blige, the great Mary J. Blige. Not um, the bars I was at. <laughs> yeah, exact same year. <laughs> the, the, uh, the number one movie the weekend of WrestleMania 22. Now, since we have kids, maybe we've seen this. I didn't see it at the time. It was Ice Age, The Meltdown. Wasn't out of the bar I was at. <laughs> <laughs> Two months earlier, Super Bowl XL, that'd be Super Bowl 40, featured the Pittsburgh Steelers defeating the Seattle Seahawks 21 to 10. Earlier in the fall of 2005, just a few months before WrestleMania, Chicago White Sox won the World Series, defeating the Houston Astros in a four game sweep. Funny note on that uh, the weekend of WrestleMania, uh, I think it was, yeah, early in the day, Saturday, me and my friend Micah, we went down to downtown Chicago, which is quite a ways from Rosemont, by the way. They promote this as Chicago, but pretty far out there in Rosemont next to Suburban the Suburban airport. Yeah. But we it's did like what the Richfield Coliseum hosted and they called it Cleveland. Yeah. For the first two Survivor Series, that was like a 35, 40 minute drive out of the city proper. Yeah. So we did take a little time to go downtown. Uh, and they were promoting opening day for MLB and the White Sox had just won the World Series the fall prior and they had the World Series trophy at Nike Town and I got a picture taken with the World Series trophy <laughs> that, uh, that weekend of WrestleMania. I actually have another interesting tidbit about the White Sox yeah. that you may not know. Uh, no one in Chicago actually gives a fuck about the White Sox. <laughs> they did then. <laughs> they did at that time. Maybe yes. for like that three weeks. Yeah. I have a real good buddy who lives in Chicago, uh, a huge Cubs fan. So he's a ticket holder. And I remember asking him, like, do you even care that the White Sox won the World Series time? He's like, didn't even watch the end of the game. I was at the bar when they clinched, I remember. I remember watching it at, a, at this club that I used to go to all the time. 
when it happened. I believe it was on a Wednesday night. <laughs> my buddy, he was my college roommate, uh, as a matter of fact. And uh, <laughs> for years, he would say he didn't tell his son that the White Sox even existed. <laughs> That's awesome. Sorry, Zach Haydorn, if you're listening. He's a White oh, Sox fan. Oh, Zach's a well. Zach, we love you. I, I, you know, what I just said was a total lie. Everyone loves the White Sox in Chicago. It's a great team. <laughs> Two months after Mania 22, the Miami Heat won the NBA Finals, defeating the Dallas Mavericks four games to two. Uh, that was Dwayne Wade arriving on the scene officially by winning his first NBA title. That was the team that no, Shaq was on, nothing, right? Yes. Nothing nefarious in, in, in that Six game series, <laughs> <laughs> legendary, yeah. Uh, and then the Stanley Cup in 2006, around the same time as the NBA Finals, the Carolina Hurricanes defeated the Edmonton Oilers in a seven game series. Four. I defy anyone to mention something about that series that happened. Can't say I can say <laughs> your favorite your your favorite memory of Canes Oilers in 06. <laughs> I can't say I watched that one too closely. <laughs> All right. So with that said, we've kind of set the stage, fellas. It's time to get in that time machine and go back to April 2nd, 2006.
Okay, so WrestleMania 22 at the Allstate Arena, as I said, the last arena WrestleMania uh, did 17,155 fans in attendance, 975,000 buys on pay-per-view. As I said earlier, the, the show sold out instantly from as far as tickets go, under two minutes. Uh, and it kind of interesting, you know, they had done WrestleMania and stadiums from 17, 18 and 19, three years in a row. And then they went back to the arenas for MSG for 20. Then, you know, they went out to LA Staples Center for 21. They did 22 here in Chicago and then 23 at Ford's Field. And then on it, it's all stadiums. And yeah. so it'd be great to see a WrestleMania in Chicago again. But they, you know, it's a little cold in April in Chicago. So they can't really run Soldier Field for a WrestleMania. This is kind of ironic given what transpires in the main event, but I'm sure you guys have seen that WrestleMania documentary they did a couple years ago, mm-hmm. more than a couple years ago. That was on the network, The History of WrestleMania. And mm-hmm. uh, it was John Cena, of all people, who said he really missed WrestleMania taking place in an arena environment. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense mm-hmm. why they don't do it, but um, man, you get that loud crowd. Yeah, exactly. That was that was something that definitely jumped out watching this show was I mean that crowd was electric and electric for some very strange things. <laughs> I think they actually kind of dampen the noise too in the main event uh because of some of the foul mouth chants that happened because I believe those it's very heavily edited versus what I experienced there and they kind of brought the crowd noise down a little bit. But that arena, I've said it before, is by far the loudest arena I have ever been in for anything. And it was, yeah, it was definitely electric that night. Um, it, it is kind of cool to have WrestleMania in that smaller environment. And it feels more intimate. Obviously, we all went to manias at stadiums. Kyle more than us, but all of us were at, at New Orleans at the Superdome. It's just it's just a different feeling. I don't know if they'll ever go back to it. You know, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to see. But it's such a it's a guaranteed moneymaker for the company to sell 60,000 tickets that it's hard to imagine it happening again. You know, they didn't, if they ever were going to do it, you would have thought maybe they would have went back to MSG for 25 or 30 and they didn't do it. So very doubtful. Yeah. yeah I remember when they didn't do that, it's like, no way they're doing an arena again. Yeah. And they didn't do it for, cause they had done it one 10 and 20. And when they skipped it, it's like, Nope, Vince is done with the arenas. You mentioned the 975,000 total buys that's domestic plus international. I just wanted to point out, kind of reflective of some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, how Mania was perceived at the time. That is down from the previous two years, and it is also down compared to the following two years, which had the benefit of Donald Trump and Floyd Mayweather. Uh, But it is on par with 25 and more than 26. Yeah. Last time they did the uh, Hall of Fame ceremony in the theaters again, and I got to tell you guys – or was it the last time? I'm not sure if they did it in Detroit at a theater or not. Maybe they did in Detroit, actually. I can't remember. That I don't know. But they stopped doing it in theaters. And I really miss having the Hall of Fame in that intimate environment because, like, even the tickets, I have my scrapbook here behind me. The tickets said, like, to dress, you're supposed to dress up for the, for the event. They wanted you to wear, like, a button up or something. It had, like, a kind of a fancy, actually, award show feel to it. I don't really like having the Hall of Fame in, in the basketball hockey arenas the way they have it now with all the fans just chanting throughout and all just dressed down, you know, like a re- regular wrestling show. I liked when the Hall of Fame felt like an actual event like that, you know, a fancy event. So I miss that. You're not going to get any disagreement with me, but 
you know, asking the WWE fan base to dress up. Ooh, that's a tall order. <laughs> hey, I, I will say, though, like the people who were there, I mean, they probably felt fortunate to have tickets because it was such a hard ticket. But most of most of the people obliged there. There were a few people in T-shirts, but I think most people dressed up a, a little bit for that. And I actually had a good story coming out of the Hall of Fame. So, like I said, Friday, we got to Chicago, hung out with some friends in town that night. Actually met up with Adam Martin and Paul Nemmer, who were two guys that I worked with at WrestleView.com for years before that. I had been writing for WrestleView for like four years. Adam, I knew, had met a few times because he lived in Cedar Rapids, not far from Waterloo Cedar Falls here in Iowa. But Paul's from Ottawa. He was the owner of WrestleView. He still is to this day. And I never met him in person. So we actually all got together at Paul's hotel that Friday night. That was a lot of fun. And then after the Hall of Fame Saturday night, we all got together and we walked from the Rosemont Theater to this Denny's that was about a mile down the road. And we ate at this Denny's afterwards. And as we're sitting there eating, about halfway through our meal, we look up. And next to our table walks Mickey James and her boyfriend at the time, Ken, Ken Doan, right, from the Spirit Squad. And wow. they go sit down at a booth. And all through their meal, like fans were bugging them as they were eating. And I hate that. Like, don't bug famous people while they're eating. That's the worst thing you can do. So we were like, we're not going to go talk to them. We're not going to bug them. So eventually we go pay. And as we're waiting in line at Denny's to pay, Mickey James like comes out of the bathroom and walks right past us as we're in line to pay. And so we struck up a conversation with her and we're like, hey, we, you know, we saw you. We didn't want to bug you while you were eating. And she really, really appreciated that. And she stood there and talked to us for several minutes as we were checking out. Uh, right when she came over, I took a picture with her and the picture, me and my friend Micah took a picture with her and the picture didn't turn out very good. It was like all blurry. And she kept talking to us and we talked about the Hall of Fame and she talked about how it was really cool to see Sher Sherry Martell inducted and that she was such a huge fan of Sherry Martell. And, um, what a great induction speech she had, by the way. Oh yeah. Yes. That's a, that is a great one. It's one of the best ever, I think. Uh, and then I think Paul, the WrestleView's owner, he was trying to get Mickey James to admit she was going to win the women's title at Mania the next day. And she wouldn't do it, but it was like obvious going in that she was probably going to win. And we joked around. One of the Tamer rumors to push her on. Yeah. <laughs> we were joking around like, come on, you're going to win. Right. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't do it. And as she was talking, all of a sudden she turned to me and she was like, how did that picture turn out? And I was like, oh, it's a little blurry. And she's like, do you want to take another one? So I took another picture with her. So if you see the two pictures I have, one is without a coat and one is with the coat because there was this big gap where we had been talking to her for a while. And I thought that was pretty cool at the time. Like I had taken this picture with her and she like, she's like, hey, do you want to take another picture? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? So I took another picture, said goodbye and left. And then, yeah, she's in one of the most memorable matches for yeah. several reasons from that uh that WrestleMania the next day. So that was kind of a cool thing that I remember from that weekend. Hearing rumors that that picture was the second hottest she got that weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about that weekend, by, by the way, hello to her husband who did such a nice job giving us a cameo. Yes, thank you, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing about that weekend is it rained the entire weekend from Friday through Sunday. It rained the whole weekend. They were supposed to do this big fan access in the parking lot of, uh, of the all state arena. And they, they still did it, but they had to do it like intense. And it was really, it was, they had to shrink the whole thing. It wasn't as cool as it would have been. Um, they did it at the mall the Friday night in Schaumburg that I went to, but then the day of mania, it was raining. We went out there. I remember I saw like 
Hillbilly Jim out there. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Maria Canellis was out there. Still peddling Coliseum home videos, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> so we did that. And then we, you know, we got in line to go into the Allstate Arena. And the line was like all the way down the road. And I remember they didn't let us in until like under an hour from when the show started. And I was stunned because it was like WrestleMania. This line was so long. Are we going to get in there on time? Finally got in there, got up to our seats. I was, I believe, the second to last row in the venue. <laughs> But like straight on from the hard cam up from the ring, almost dead center. So they're actually pretty good seats. Uh, but that's where I was for the duration of the show. I was going to ask you guys, what did you think of the set of Mania 22? Like the way that they had the banners of the people, the skyscraper entrance. Um, Justin, what? how did you think that compared to other Manias? I, think, I thought it looked great. It definitely reminded me of 20 quite a bit. Uh, but but really enjoyed it the actually most of all it was kind of uh around the stage the the yellow lighting the yellow spotlights uh seemed to be different from previous wrestlemanias and uh uh yeah the entire thing was, was great i thought it looked tremendous it has a very unique look to it i think with the mm-hmm. banners kyle yeah was that the only time they ever did that in wrestlemania so. with all the uh faces around the thing that was uh, kind of shades of uh, the NWA in 1990. Yeah. They always do that with the banner. In 91, they would have the banners around there. And they had a Bret Hart banner. So I, when I saw that, it gave me some hope, like maybe he's going to actually come out. They have a banner of him up. but no. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's another time to slip this in, but something that confused me a lot about this show uh, when I watched on the award-winning WWE Network, why is like the poster or the main image of the show some random match between John Cena and Booker T? <laughs> that is bizarre isn't it yeah. like it's not like it doesn't look like a show poster like you know with all the featured performers it's john cena giving his shitty bulldog to booker t yeah so they had they did have multiple posters but that was the one that you saw the most um there was like a different poster that they had on the dvd cover i remember and like there was a shirt that i got that had a different poster on it at the event but that was the one that you saw like around town and hanging from like you know the the light posts and stuff throughout Rosemont. So yeah, it was, I, I thought that at the time too, that's kind of a weird, they're not wrestling each other. What the heck? But yeah, I thought, I thought the setup was, was pretty memorable. I liked it. So they opened the show with, uh, we got Michelle Williams of Chicago from destiny's child singing America, the beautiful. And then we go to the opening video featuring a lot of legends and eventually the theme, the memorable theme, 20 year old song, big time. By Peter Gabriel. Thoughts on the uh, the opening sequence here, fellas? The historical video package was great, as it usually is. I think, you know, as you kind of alluded to, a 20-year-old at the time, Peter Gabriel's song was a very odd soundtrack for 2006 WWE. But I will say that um, I don't think anyone will be talking about Shinedown, who had the <laughs> opening song, uh, you know, that I Dare You song, in 2026. So... You know, Peter Gabriel lives on and it was, you know, it's kind of a banger now. I've been singing it all day to myself in preparation for this podcast. I'm not going to lie. It's a pretty good song. Yeah, I, that Shinedown song was like the secondary song. They played that a lot of the promos too and it was all right, but yeah, not not as memorable. Yeah, that third, How, third, third wave grunge reeks. Yeah. When, when did uh, Big Time come out? P- the Peter Gabriel song? Was that mid 80s? Yeah, it was on the same album with Sledgehammer, right? So... I'm just trying to think of what like the equivalent would be today of uh shit that would only be like what 2001 
2001, yeah. Ish. Wow. Oh, shit. It'd be Limp Biscuit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about the strokes? Let's go with the strokes. There yeah. we go. Yeah. JR and the King welcome us. Uh, JR is back in action, says yes. the, the Blues Brothers have been reunited here in Chicago. And, and if you're wondering about that, he had returned from his colon surgery, during which Vince McMahon had an incredibly foul segment on Raw mocking him, which is one of the more out-of-bounds things in the history of that promotion, and think of the ground that covers. Yeah, Jim talks about that in his book quite a bit, how yes. pissed he was at that. Uh, as he should be. Mm-hmm. You know, say what you will about Jim Ross, the president, whatever, we were very happy to have him on the show. That was disgusting at the time that they did yeah. that. Uh, also, the impetus for heel Linda McMahon, if you were wondering why she was hanging out with the rest of the family, the show. Remember, she was the one who fired him on screen? Mm-hmm. Heel Linda? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, man, she turned heel again years later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the fir- the opening match is uh, Big Show and Kane defending the World Tag Team Championships against Carlito and Chris Masters. And uh, guys, a few things to say about these uh, these people. First of all, the Kane theme with lyrics was great. Maybe Kane's best theme song. I really, really like that that song. And uh, I am the one you want to follow. <laughs> it was good, man. But how about that Carlito t-shirt, Kyle? Okay. <laughs> if the bright yellow don't get you, the spit or swallow does. <laughs> Imagine wearing... A t-shirt that says that just around town as you're going to the grocery store or imagine like your eight-year-old son is like, mom, I really like Carlito. Will you give me that spitter swallow t-shirt? <laughs> How do you explain this? Imagine oh. walking around with a bright yellow shirt that says spitter swallow. Oh. I, don't even the, think the, I don't think the county fair lets you in with that. <laughs> and his tag team Actually, partner. Yeah, in, in in Iowa, you get in free wearing that. Okay. I mean, you know, it's you know, the Cuyahoga County Fair even is it's got some quite frankly reprehensible T-shirts walking around. To be honest, I think when I, we walk around, um, just so mad you can see the animals and stuff every year. And like, I think to be honest with you, last summer we went, somebody probably did have a spitter swallow T-shirt. It's that kind of crowd. <laughs> now, what do you think about his tag team partner, Chris Masters, the masterpiece? I think he might need to come back to save this industry. (laughs) I don't understand what happened. You know, like once again, this was one of the fascinating things for me watching this was I never really had a connection to Chris Masters and that entrance and that music and the look and the dude could freaking sell in the ring. I don't know. Maybe he was just putting on a show for Kane and Big Show and it being WrestleMania and all, but I don't understand what went wrong with that. He seemed to have it all. What did you want to say, right? Because I actually have a I was just gonna say a sort of way to answer Justin because I, I yeah, I'll I let you I'll let you point. answer that. I, okay. I was just gonna say that my friends and I at the time that watched wrestling loved him at the time. We thought it was a cool gimmick, the master lock. That was over the entrance. Yeah, it was way over. It, I love the entrance, the way it was all synced up to the way he would pose, and then how it would shift to kind of like the more hip hop sounding song right after all that big grandiose entrance. The pyro, like the whole presentation was really, really good. Yeah, the master lock, if you watch the match, and I'm sure a lot of people, you know, you have seen or might watch it again after listening to this podcast. When he puts the master lock on Kane, it, it's over. The crowd reacts. 
And I thought it was kind of shitty how the big show just like broke it up right away. I didn't mm-hmm. think that was um I didn't think that was particularly uh smart work. But anyway, um there are people on message boards that absolutely love Chris Masters' work on Superstars in like 2010, 2011 when he came back. There are people like this. I it's one of those things that given that people are so excited about it, it's I, I, it's probably pretty good, but not as good as they make it out to be. Um, as far as him and Carlito, I call them sort of the lost generation. And we all remember that first wave of guys from OVW. Cena, Orton, Lesnar, Batista. Obviously a tremendous hit rate there. But after that first wave, until the end of the decade, the hit rate wasn't so good, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking about this, and... Maybe it's not the primary reason, but I think it's a reason. The WWE fan base really shrunk from 2001 to 2004. I mean, just look at the numbers. It's there. I mean, that's just an inarguable point. And those who remained were very interested in work rate, right? It, it was very much like we're very in the in-ring product. It, mm-hmm. that, that became a real focus, more so than ever before, uh, of those who continued to watch the product. And I think, you know, you look at some of the names that were still in the promotion at this time, like the Angles, the Mysterios, and, you know, Michaels, and and we'll talk about a a lot of others as well. I think that fan base in 2006 really didn't have the time or the patience for a guy like Chris Masters or Carlito to kind of grow into their roles. Because you think about the jump these guys made from wherever they were coming from to national television for the WWE. That was massive. There was Mm -hmm. no NXT like there's that, which I think, you know, for as much as we make fun of NXT, sometimes it can be a useful tool in that regard for these guys who are coming from the Indies or whatnot. I just think it was a massive jump and the audience just didn't have patience back then to watch these guys grow. Yeah. Which is, I mean, one of my very first notes was, you know, that crowd was really behind Carlito. And that crowd, that's those are your diehards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, well, the, the Carlito now was kind of a different thing, though. Like the WWE be, behind the scenes, he kind of fell yeah. out of favor with, with them. What was up with him falling, by the way, during his intro? Was that like intentional? Was he just being goofy? I, I, didn't yeah, I thought know what that, that too. Was. How he kind of like did this little roll. Yeah, yeah. that was weird. But, yeah, I, I just think what it was is you know they weren't is. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't. You mentioned that privately. I didn't know notice that he was that over during this match yeah i remember carlito being pretty over at the time. He, he was well like but, he was but not yeah i mean at various points but yeah. i i just don't know i just think that there was like a certain level of work in the ring that the 2006 wwe audience was looking for and these guys just weren't there yet yeah Carlito, of course appeared on the royal rumble this year and the raw the night after that uh and Chris Masters, now going by Chris Adonis, worked on uh, NWA Power last night. I haven't seen the match yet, but uh, yeah, still wrestling too. As as I said, Chris Adonis. So yeah, I, I I'll maybe have to check out some of those superstars from 2011 because I don't remember that. Really. That, that was, I was a fan. W, I was a fan. The WGN period. Remember yeah. when they were showing it on that? I think mm-hmm. so. So Kane and Big Show retain. They uh, win by choke slam. You've got some dissension by Masters and Carlito in the aftermath, and then they cut backstage to Shawn Michaels. Oh, I, I just had a couple other yeah. things about the match. 
I was irrationally angry about the fact that Kane did not do the standard 10 punch deal in the corner and let the crowd cut along. Mm. <laughs> like, like we did, like he just started like whacking them. Like the crowd wanted a chant. They're like, one, two, three. And then he just started like, going, bam, four, bam, 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 bam. and I'm like, you let the crowd chant to 10. It's the easiest way to get them behind you. What are you doing, Kane? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, you know, probably not even among the ton dumbest things Glenn Jacobs has ever said, but that's a different podcast for a different time. <laughs> Hall of Famer Glenn Jacobs, we should point out. Yes. Wow. So you have in your notes here, Kyle, you were pretty sure that the titles were going to change hands. Oh, yes. Uh, well, at the time I did just because like Big Show and Kane were kind of a makeshift team. I mean, I guess Carlito and Masters were too. And um, turns out it was one day early because Big Show and Kane lose the titles the following night to the Spirit Squad. And do you remember what Kane went on to do after that? So this is April. God, hopefully what, shave the rest of his head. What comes after April? What's the next month? May. May. Young? No. <laughs> I don't remember. I, May, I, 19, May 19th, ring a bell? Oh, is this, this was like where he was like hearing voices or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did he try I, and I, F vaguely. a dead body? May 19th, that was a real... Remember the fake Kane feud that was, like, uh, blown off in two weeks because, like, fake Kane sucked ass? Okay, I'm looking it up now on, on Wikipedia. <laughs> he claimed that May 19th was the date on which his mother and adopted family were killed in a fire. Well, it had to do with that movie. That oh, about See No Evil? Yes, yeah, it was okay. all about... May 19th? Yeah, I don't even remember that. (laughs) Wow. That was bad. It wasn't good! So, (laughs) speaking of bad, so Shawn Michaels is backstage, and um, he has this this shirt on. It says HBK, and the the HBK is like intertwined in a crown of thorns because HBK is Jesus and all. I I don't know about that t-shirt, but... (laughs) I always felt like, you know, the the rehabbed HBK, like, Christian thing. It was a bit much the way he used that on TV. I, I found it to be kind of dishonest. The way he would do, like, the praying when he would come out. The shirts all having, like, this, like, religious pretense to him. I don't know. That that really stands out to me. But the match I just, he will... He will I, I, I'm just saying, I was just sad that he wasn't, like, you know... Dropping British Bulldog figures down his pants like in one night stand. <laughs> well, hey, that's one night thing. only. Pardon me, one night only. That's that's the other thing is that I think I think one of the other reasons at the time I was a little disappointed was uh, to see Shawn Michaels work at WrestleMania. I thought was really cool because he was one of my favorites growing up. But then I was like, ah, he's working Vince McMahon. Like I don't get to see Shawn work. You know, like Kurt Angle, like he did the year before. I get to see Shawn and Vince McMahon, and they have. A, we're gonna get to it like a better match than you would expect, but. At the time, that was kind of a downer for me, too. The only crown of thorns I respect is the Mother Love Bone song. <laughs> Look it up, kids. So we, the second match of the show is a damn good one. It's the, it's the second year now that they've done Money in the Bank. We've got Shelton Benjamin, Finley, RVD, Nat Hardy, Bobby Lashley, and of all people, Ric Flair in a ladder match here. I think they say it was like the only the second time he had ever worked a ladder match in his career yeah. at the time. And the other, the other one being edge earlier that year when Edge yes. was champion still. Yep. 
So the match has like cool spots from Shelton Benjamin throughout, like right at the beginning or towards the beginning, he props the ladder on the ropes and then he like runs off the ropes and runs up the ladder and does a flip to the outside, which is really cool. Ric Flair, man, he takes a superplex off the ladder from Matt Hardy, which takes him out of action. You know, they they do the the worked X with the officials that he's hurt. I don't know how I felt about that. Yeah, like at him getting taken out and then coming back and not winning. Yeah, that's, just, that, that's such an odd spot, and I feel like they've done that multiple times since. It well, seems like it was just a way, just a way to get him out of the match. So he didn't have to take yeah. any other big bumps. Which is when in a ladder match, dudes disappear for 10 minutes all the time for no reason. Yeah, yeah. But just just let him sell it. Like, why do you have to, like, you know, like, heavy-handedly take him out of the way? I, I did like how JR immediately jumped on and started telling the plane crash story from 1975. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he falls on his back, and by God, he's broken his back before. <laughs> yeah. So... As you said, Kyle, Flair eventually comes back. He looks like he's got the match won, but then up comes Finley with his shillelagh. Love the shillelagh with all my heart and soul. (laughs) It's after that that Bobby Lashley, you know, the current WWE champion, cleans house. Uh, Rob Van Dam hits a splash off the top of the ladder onto Finley, which is a cool spot. Uh, RVD then climbs the ladder. You think he's going to win at this point, and then Shelton Benjamin does the... uh, the slingshot, slingshot up onto the ladder spot where he lands on the ladder from the ropes. And that was awesome. Yeah. They brawl. Uh, then Matt Hardy sets up a ladder next to him. And then Hardy and Shelton Benjamin start to brawl. And their ladder falls over, leaving Rob Van Dam to grab the briefcase and win. This is an awesome match. Um, I feel like the one the year prior was a little bit better. But this is a really good one, too. So, okay. Obviously, RVD was very over at this point and was definitely the crowd favorite uh me not having a relationship with this event with this match with these guys in this time period i mean i'm watching this like i mean nobody else has a chance at winning this but was there anybody else in that moment that felt like could grab that money in the bank maybe shelton to me shelton was pretty hot around that time okay and and flair coming off the match obviously people really probably what's you know, this is a very unique sextet, is it not? Of guys, you had five baby faces. And I think what, you know, to Justin's point, you're right. Like, you look back um, 15 years later, you're like, yeah, were they really going to push anybody else? You know, Matt Hardy was coming off that edge storyline not yeah. too long. So he had been, you know, he was the hottest thing in the business for like two weeks in the summer yeah. of 2005. Um, you know, and, but like five baby faces makes it interesting in that the crowd was always kind of cheering. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, Finley being the lone heel on the total pole. I love with Finley and Flair, you have the, you have these two non-traditional ladder match participants. Like not everyone needs to be a quote ladder match guy in these things. Um, You know, Lashley was someone they were going to clearly push down the road. He had been up on the main roster for not that long at this point. Right. I feel he was at survivor series. He was on the main roster, but yeah. I'm trying to remember how he, I mean, it had been less than eight months, I want to say. I don't think he was there at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. No. Um, and then, so. you know, yeah, Hardy and Benjamin were your ladder match glue guys, you know, veterans of it. Benjamin had shined the year before. Ryan, you mentioned the first Money in the Bank ladder match at 21. I do agree that one was a l- little bit better than this one. But uh, at the end of the day, I was so happy to see Rob Van Dam win at the time because he honestly was my favorite guy in WWE 
for probably like 2001 to 2006. Yeah, he was incredibly over. Elites are one of the best Money in the Bank moments, you know, at ECW One Night Stand um, later that year, too. So Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the things, too. We talk about this sometimes, like, not just evaluating a match in a vacuum. Like, mm-hmm. bell rings, evaluation starts now. Bell, you know, match is over, evaluation stops now. Like, when I watch this match, I can't help but feel happy because I think about when RVD beat Cena at One Night Stand. And how that led to it. So, mm-hmm. like, it, it just it kind of accentuates my enjoyment, yeah, of the whole scenario. Agreed. So, following RVD's victory, they go backstage and you got Josh Matthews. Remember him from uh, Tough Enough, the early Tough Enoughs, and uh, he's an interviewer now for WWE, and he's backstage with Mean Gene, and they talk about how Mean Gene is the first announcer inducted into the Hall of Fame, and uh, Randy Orton comes up. Not after, not, but not before Gene points out that he ran up a huge bar tab the night yes. before. <laughs> Fucking love me, Gene. <laughs> so Orton mocks him for being inducted, for holding a microphone for 35 years. Orton says he'll be inducted in the Hall of Fame one day for nights like he's about to have tonight. At this point, Batista makes a surprise appearance, taps him on the shoulder. Batista was out with the torn triceps at the time. Uh, Batista says he has to remind Orton that whoever wins is just holding the title until he comes back. He says he's feeling pretty good and will be back pretty soon. He says, by WrestleMania 23, I'll be world heavyweight champion again. Turns out he was right. Yeah. Uh, So I love Batista's suit here. My question to you guys, what did you think of the, uh, Randy Orton RKO shirt in the styling of the NWO? I thought that was a. I saw in your notes you specifically wanted to ask me that, and I was like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I figured it's something you might like. I don't know. I like it. Yeah. I, I mean, I always like it when they play off of like classic stuff like that with their T-shirts, and so yeah, the the red and black RKO looks like NWO. That's one of Randy's better shirts, probably. Com- compared to ninety nine percent of today's wrestling T-shirts, I just appreciate the simplicity of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you talk about playing off the old stuff. It just made me think of. Remember that John Cena. AWA style t-shirt he had. Yeah. That was cool. That was a cool. And he also had like the uh like the 8-bit wrestling pro wrestling yeah. video game one. That was cool too. But but Justin's right. This is actually a shirt that, you know, I would consider wearing. Yeah. <laughs> Which does put it above 90% of today's <laughs> WWE offerings. <laughs> yes. So they go back into the arena and this is where Howard Finkel announces that Bret Hart was quote uncomfortable participating in tonight's it's event. Time. Ladies and gentlemen, Famer, right? Hitman Hart was uncomfortable participating in this evening's event. However, at this time, would you please? Uh, but they announced the rest of the Hall of Fame inductees. So out comes Mean Gene, uh, Sherry Martel, Tony Atlas, Vern Gagne, the Fridge, William Perry, who you know they're in Chicago. He is the celebrity inductee. One there. of the few celebrities who I feel didn't get booed in the moment. Yes, and. I thought it was kind of funny how when William Perry comes out, Michael Cole says on commentary, he paved the way for the two sports superstars, which is just like an absolutely ludicrous statement, especially with wrestling. Like, look at the people, you know, Wahoo McDaniel, Bronco Nagurski. There was like a lot of football players that wrestled. But 2006, Michael Cole is not one of your better wrestling (laughs) announcers. Yeah. Uh, The Blackjacks come out and then uh, Vicky and Chavo Guerrero to represent Eddie. Of course, get loud Eddie chants good moment there and they've recognized the hall of fame 
And there right was, after, yeah, I, I want to say one thing. Vern Gagne, uh, I remember this from his Hall of Fame speech. You know, say what you will about Vince WWE. I, I think allotting some of these guys that have very legitimate gripes against the company to come in and have their moment mm-hmm. is a cool deal. And I, I don't think anybody has a bigger gripe with Vince and WWE than Vern Gagne, who like just was, I mean, you talk about getting raided. Yeah. I mean, this guy, they took everything but the freaking last gallon of milk from him. <laughs> and kidding. I remember his Hall of Fame speech that weekend, and he mentioned Vince, and the crowd started booing, and Vern just stopped, and he looks like, yeah, I never liked the guy either. And I thought that was a really <laughs> cool thing, man. Yeah. You know, we all make fun of Vern and how out of touch he was in the mid-80s, but that was a really, really cool line Yeah, that they let him have. Yeah. So... The next match is the U.S. Championship, and it's uh, redacted Chris Benoit defending against JBL. And I've said on the program before, was not the biggest JBL fan during this period. And, of course, it's always hard to watch Chris Benoit, given what happened uh, a little over a year after this. This is like the immediate aftermath of his friend's death and when Benoit really starts spiraling out of control. So this is, this is a difficult one to watch. It's not a not a super long match. Uh, but a little surprising that they did the title switch here, I do have to say. I yeah. remember being a little shocked at that. Didn't feel right, JBL winning. And I'll tell you what else didn't feel right was him using Eddie Guerrero moves for heat. Yes. Come on, man. I mean, we'll talk some more about this stuff, I figure, during the Ray match. Like, you know, how WWE chose, um, you know, the creative path it chose in the wake of when they decided to use Eddie's passing in canon what the creative path they chose um unfortunately because it's wwe it brings out their worst instincts um i, I don't have much for this match post world title runs for both these guys are kind of a blur mm-hmm. it's crazy to think that it was three years that benoit was in the promotion from when he lost that title to you, you know obviously the the double murder suicide mm-hmm. yeah i forgot to mention too uh I got. I do have some of the observer star ratings for these matches, um, just based off of cage match. I couldn't find my actual observer observer hard copy that I would have, and this is not in the digital archives. But the Money in the Bank match got four stars in the observer. So up till this point, this is the uh, this is the highest rated match on the show. The Money in the Bank is the highest rated match. Don't oh, have a for sure. match, don't have a ma- don't have a match rating for JBL Benoit, which came in right around ten yeah. minutes. Edge and Foley follows JBL and Benoit. This is the hardcore match. It's the the match that is the most memorable outing here at WrestleMania 22, I would say. This one got four stars in the Observer, equal to Money in the Bank, but I would say this one should be a little bit higher. I think this should be the highest rated match on the card. And if there's one highlight from WrestleMania 22 that people know, I mean, the one that's been played over and over, other than another one that was removed from the video... <laughs> We'll get to later on. Uh, it would be, of course, the spear through the uh, the flaming table here by Edge onto Foley. And this is, I mean, for a hardcore match, this is pretty freaking awesome. I, the amount of blood is crazy for a WWE match at this time, I think. Like, Foley's face is just thickly covered <laughs> in blood. Like, the whole right side of his face, you can't see any skin at all. Remember him and Flair, how hard they juiced at SummerSlam later that year? Like, what was up with Mick Foley in 2006 just yeah. tapping arteries, man? <laughs> so the whole story of this match was, like, Foley needed to have an iconic WrestleMania match. As you would talk about, if Foley hasn't had that, 
This is what they're going to do. Foley would talk about it. Um, and right off the bat, and this is, of course, when Edge is, is paired up with Lita, by the way. He's the rated R superstar <laughs> <by this point. laughs> from the previous summer when the drama happened with Matt Hardy. And right away, Edge spears Foley. And Foley reveals he has barbed wire wrapped around his torso, like very tightly. So Edge is selling the hurt arm. And then like an Mick, awesome, awesome bit. Very creative. Kind of reminds you of like the Bret Hart Goldberg thing with the plate that they did mm-hmm. on Nitro 99. And Foley has to like cut the the barbed wire off because it's so tight on him. That was a pretty cool spot. I really like that. Yeah, you know, I remembered it right away because when he walks out, he just looks so round. Yes. And I'm like, like, why does Mick look so damn round here? I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's right. He's got the barbed wire wrapped around him. Yep. But it, it's not like when I watched it in real time, I was thinking that. Yeah. No, definitely not. I, I had kind of forgotten about it, too, until it happened in the match. Uh, we've got, we get a thumb, a thumbtack spot in this match where edge who's wrestling without a shirt, of course, falls on the thumbtacks. They're all over his arms are his backs bleeding from him. Crowd was into that spot. Oh yeah. We get the barbed wire bat out at this point is when you really start to notice Foley losing all the blood. This is when he's getting cut open from his forehead. Uh, man. Yeah. What stands out to you guys in this match? I've been talking long enough. The crowd, the blood, the table spot, of course. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an absolutely iconic WrestleMania match with just moments that we're going to see in highlight reels, you know, for the rest of our lives. And, uh, I recall when I got back into wrestling, you know, hearing about this, going and finding it. And, uh, honestly, it's kind of, I don't know if it's embarrassing to admit or just nerdy, but I was so happy that Mick Foley actually had his WrestleMania moment, his, his WrestleMania match. I thought yeah. that was terrific. It's his best WrestleMania match. They mission accomplished in that regard. Uh, yeah, loved it. Loved Edge during this period, too, mm-hmm. uh, for the record. Uh, I guess, Ryan, uh, I, you're the only one I can pose this question to. What was your take at the time with Edge having such a short world title run after he cashed in money in the bank? Did you feel like they should have rolled longer with that? I did at the time. I was a pretty big Edge fan. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I, I, yeah. I did too. I thought like him just losing it right back at the Rumble was way too short. They needed to roll with that. Um, now, you need to remember, they were still doing the brand-only pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. So they, they – and the February pay-per-view was a SmackDown show. So it's not like they had a February pay-per-view they could have done seeing the Edge. But you could have just done it on Raw. And as a yeah. matter of fact – they did wrestle on Raw with Foley as the ref. This was not the title change. The video package kind of makes you think that was the title change, but it, it wasn't. Um, it was a, a rematch um, from the Royal Rumble, and you know Foley counts Edge down, and, and that kind of was the impetus for the start of the feud. Um, but yeah, I thought Edge deserved a longer run at the time. But in retrospect, him dropping the title and getting a big win here was better for him long term. I think. And of course, it turns out he winds up back in the world title program by the end of the summer. Um, has that, and, and he wins many world titles. So um, I don't think anyone is necessarily weeping for Edge in that short run anymore. Yeah. It's it's very similar to, uh, you know, making Edge just like the backlash match 
Mick Foley had against Randy Orton, really solidifying Randy Orton in the minds of fans. Yeah, or Triple H at the Royal Rumble. I yeah. Mean, my God, when you need to get over a heel who's, you know, you you call M. Foley. Yeah, no kidding. Love Mick Foley. With the, you talk about one of the great wrestlers. Mick Foley. Amen. Well, um, Joey Styles was brought back to announce this match, so we should talk about this. So we mentioned Jim Ross at the top was brought back to announce. Joey Styles was the main play-by-play guy on Raw during Jim Ross's absence. And I don't think Vince really liked him that much. <laughs> and so the, as soon as he could bring Jim Ross back, he kind of like kicked Joey Styles to the curb. I think it was nice to let Joey call a match at WrestleMania. You know, that would have been pretty dick to just say, sorry, pal, you can't, you know, you've been doing this for a couple months. <laughs> now you hit the soup line. I will say this about Joey Styles. Loves alliteration. Uh, also hates Barack Obama in case you didn't know that. <laughs> so yes. I'll say this, Joey Styles, fuck you. <laughs> and, um, I'll never, do you remember, this is a real obscure reference months later, um, edge was talking about this match and styles was sitting at ringside doing commentary and edge goes, the only regret I have at WrestleMania 22 is that Joey Styles Cause they were getting ready for the second one night stand. It's like the only regret I have about that match is that Joey Styles was the announcer. And he goes, oh, my God, you suck. (laughs) And I laughed so hard when he did that. Um, Ironically, Edge teamed up with Mick Foley at that show. I could not remember how they explained that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was was the famous Edge pin on Beulah, that match. Oh, yeah. Remember that one he was like humping her Mm -hmm. to the one, two, three? Yeah. I sh- I'm sharing my screen with you guys to show you the shot I took of the table spot at the show. Oh. If you're seeing that. Is Dave Meltzer in this chat, by the way? <laughs> I see his picture. That's someone's icon in this oh. chat. I'm in for Sports Kita. No. Yeah. Oh. But, but uh, man, I timed this this shot perfectly here. Maybe I should post this on Patreon. But, uh, oh, here's the award winning photographer, Ryan Trust. <laughs> you can see Ed right in the midair going through the flaming table, which. Such a cool spot. I mean, Lita just douses the fluid all, all over that table right before she lights it. I'm at, as I'm watching that, I'm like, is that much really necessary? But it looks awesome. And I noticed That's a watching damn good photo. It is. I noticed like watching it too. So they show. I told you I was straight on from the ring and the hard camera. They show an angle right on the other side of them, looking up. And I'm like straight on from that table. And I I noticed watching because I remembered I had this shot. You see a flash go off, like right at the top of the arena, and I, I'm like the only flash that goes off, so that has to be mine. You can you can spot it on the footage, but wow. yeah, I signed it like perfectly. It's it's a pretty good shot. I do maybe the best photo I've ever taken. I got to say, at a wrestling show, anyways. Yeah. So yeah, that that is the iconic moment uh, from WrestleMania 22, no doubt about it. Great, great match. I would say you know, in terms of just a star rating perspective, this would be like a top 20 WrestleMania match for me. Fairly easy, comfortably. Wait, uh, did Meltzer explain why it only got four stars? Wasn't in the Tokyo, though. <laughs> the cage match uh, audience, 227 votes, has it at 9.19 out of 10. That is very high. Cage yeah, that's, match. that's basically like a four and a half star match. Yeah. If you, you know, 
do the math. So, yeah, I think this clearly should have gotten more stars than Money in the Bank, which again we said was a, was a very good match too. But this is this is the match. I, of the show. I would give this four and a quarter. I think that's a good rating. Yeah. Four and a quarter is, is yeah. where I give it. Money in the Bank. I don't know if it was quite four, to be honest either. Maybe like three and a half, three and three quarters. Mm-hmm. I'm a tough grader though, as you. <laughs> so after this, uh, they go backstage, <laughs> and uh, this is <laughs> speaking of tough grading. <laughs> This is Kyle's favorite moment backstage on this show. <laughs> We've got uh, Booker T backstage getting ready for his match with the Boogeyman. And uh, Ted DiBiase's back there teasing Eugene. He says, hey, Booker, want to make a thousand bucks? You got Gene Snitsky licking Mae Young's feet while Fabulous Moodle watches. <laughs> what an incredible thing that was, huh? <laughs> Booker feels like he's in the Twilight Zone, runs into gold dust. Or Oprah Dust, as he's calling himself, because he's in Chicago. Uh, Goldust says all these people are are here because they're different, and they're here to help him as he's about to wrestle the boogeyman. Goldust tells him he needs to let that inner freak out. It's the only way he will win. He says, take the worms and put them in your... It's the only way you're going to beat him. And then Booker T says, tell me you didn't just say that, you freak. And Snitsky says, that's not my fault. Your thoughts, gentlemen. <laughs> Who's that pirate? It was Paul Burchill. Yes. Was that was that his actual gimmick at that yeah, time? Yeah, we're we're not going to talk about that. Yes, it was. Yeah. No, I would like the next thirty minutes dedicated to. <laughs> I, Paul Burchill was a guy who had some talent in OVW, and man, did they give him a stupid ass gimmick? They didn't like him very much. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Um. Yeah, the bat. You know, the DiBiase Eugene thing was mildly amusing. The old homage, the sketch DiBiase did with the kid mm-hmm. uh, a generation previous, but uh, Tourette's gold dust was was not good. A favorite of Howard Stern, though. You, you know what back- was? I mean, May Young's feet six to midnight, buddy. <laughs> oh six to midnight. man, that was oh, bizarre. God. Of all the like, it's so funny how WWE like will forget about things that were on TV at the weeks. And you gotta remember Gene Snitsky's foot fetish, <laughs> and and doing a sketch with May Young. Oh man! So they go back into the arena. They got the Snickers sweepstakes winners there, and then they show Joe Joe Theismann's in the house. Joe Joe Theismann even makes the uh, closing video of the show when they show all the highlights of uh, WrestleMania. Joe Theismann being there is played once again later on. Uh, and then it's that handicap match. Booker T and Charmel taking on the Boogeyman. Uh, so when the Boogeyman started, I thought it was a pretty damn cool gimmick. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but Excuse me? I did. At the, at the, when it first started, I thought it was pretty entertaining. But it wore thin on me pretty quickly. <laughs> um, the match itself is, is hard to watch for several reasons. Um it's very short, though, because the boogeyman had torn his biceps at a house show prior to the match. So he's working injured here. <laughs> and the boogeyman had a very checkered run, as I'm going to get into here in a moment. <laughs> there was so much stuff I forgot about him. Oh, my God, what a run this man had. Oh, man. Yeah. What Dave gave this negative one star. <laughs> Three it, minutes and 52 seconds. Yeah. Oh, man. It's hard it, to watch because there's all this smoke hanging around from the pyro on the entrances because both guys had pyro. There's like this kind of a red haze throughout. Go ahead, Kyle. Uh, yeah, this is the low point of the show for me, at least, uh, except for when Booker let Queen Charmel start the match. That was tremendous. 
<laughs> yeah. And it actually drew some heat. Um, by the way, the treatment of Booker here in this role, just to get squashed, kind of tells me that his world title win in the summer was probably not a long-term decision. You know, I mean, if, if you're planning on putting the world title on Booker T, uh, you're not doing this to him at WrestleMania. Just a... I was not a fan of the Boogeyman at all. I, I don't like The Fiend. I don't like any of his Hocus Pocus stuff that the WWE does. They never do it well. And the Boogeyman, though, has some insane tidbits, if you go to this man's <laughs> Wikipedia page that I forgot about. Shall we go through some of the highlights? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I remembered some of these reading it when I was doing the podcast at the time. I, I remember my co-host would read them, and I would just be like, what? <laughs> Is this man cursed? So he lied about his age to get on Tough Enough. Yeah, he was a lot older than you would have thought at the time. Yes. So he, uh, per Wikipedia, on October 15, 2004, he attended the two-day event in Venice Beach, California, where he was among the eight finalists chosen. After surviving the first day of eliminations, he admitted he was actually 40 years old, five years over the competition's cutoff point, and not 30 as he'd claimed. As a result... He was cut immediately from the competition. Uh, nevertheless, though he had been cut from Tough Enough, WWE officials invited him to come to their developmental territory, Ohio Valley Wrestling. And then he gets this gimmick. And this is something I did not remember at all. So in the summer of 2005, they start doing these vignettes to promote the debut of The Boogeyman. And they had to delay the vignettes some because... Uh, he hurt his knees there too. This guy just kept getting injured. Mm -hmm. Uh, But here's something that was very interesting. There was a show called the boogeyman that was planned, I guess for UPN. And that's why they did this character. Hmm. But the show never made it to air. It was like an idea and it just never happened. So they came up with this character for a show that never aired. (laughs) Wow. And he ate worms. I don't know how this guy did that. Didn't Oof. he do something with that fat idiot who used to live at Pennsylvania Avenue the next year? At <laughs> WrestleMania. I don't remember. I, I'm almost sure that, like, yeah, like that, you know, Trump was sitting there on his phone and the boogeyman like came up behind him and Trump nose sold it or something. I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, Donald Trump meets the boogeyman. WrestleMania 23. Yeah, back. Yeah, I'm seeing the video on YouTube here. It's on the WWE oh, YouTube no. channel. Yep. <laughs> the Boogeyman? <laughs> so when he first came out, though, didn't you think the character was kind of cool? Like, he had a good entrance. He had a good look. Like, at the, that's what I'm saying. Like, at the onset, I thought it was a pretty cool character, but it wore thin pretty fast. I mean, he was jacked. You talk yeah. about a guy with a physique. I mean, this guy was freaking cut. I see why they invited him to the developmental territory, but I don't know. The whole, um, the boogeyman, I'm coming to get you. It was just so freaking cheesy. <laughs> it the was. boogeyman? Yeah. Eating yeah. worms? It was, I mean, I guess it's something just for the lower card, but I, I don't know. It never really got over. And the guy seemed cursed. He just kept getting hurt. You mentioned he got hurt a few weeks before this match, and. God, I, I, I shudder to think how long this match was originally planned to go. And God bless Charmel for taking the kiss from him while he has a mouthful of worms and she runs off in horror. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something right now. Queen Charmel was tremendous <laughs> in 2006. I thought she did a great job in that role. What a trooper. 
And after that, the boogeyman wins with a double-fisted choke slam, probably because he couldn't get him up with one arm. I don't know. Uh, and then after this, he's gone from television. They explained his TV absence was because uh, Booker and Charmel had obtained a restraining order on him as he's out rehabbing. Uh, yeah, and then, and then like he is ready to come back, and they release him. Yeah, and then they bring him back. And I mean, this guy. Him. Yeah. I mean, p- p- please, please, folks, go to Wikipedia and type in the Boogeyman wrestler in parentheses, and <laughs> it is one of the most cursed one-year runs I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> oh my oh. god! All right, so. hold on. No, hold. No, you stop, and you stop right now, because I just kept reading this Wikipedia page, and I. <laughs> oh my god have been reminded of something that I have blocked out in my memory for the last near 15 years. God. Little Boogeyman. Oh, no. They had a Boogeyman and Little Boogeyman versus Finley and Hornswoggle (laughs) feud. Oh, no. (laughs) That's bad. That's really bad. Whew. Ask, asking for a friend, what event did that take place at? Not that I want to look it up and watch it right now, but... <laughs> no Way Out 07, perhaps? Oh. It says a mixed tag match at No Way Out, and given the... T- yeah, it, it'd be No Way Out 07. Check it out, fans, if you're interested. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a much more memorable match is the next one. The women's Justin championship J- match. Just so you know, Justin Joyd has a remote control in his hand. Yes, he's trying and, to find it right now. And, P- and Peacock ain't telling him no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about this women's title match. The right. little boogeyman? <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Trish Stratus and Mickey James. The storyline that they had been doing, they brought in Mickey James. She'd been working on the independents for years before this. Uh, she had worked in TNA a little bit before this. And this was her break, and she was doing this thing where she was like kind of a head case. She was a stalker for Trish Stratus. And the fans like really got behind her here in Chicago. And really, I think from what I recall throughout the country, I mean, it's just kind of an it was a new new thing. It was a it was a good shift in the women's division. And like I said, I mean, met her the night before Denny's. I was looking forward to seeing this one here. And she wins the title for the first time. And it's a pretty damn memorable match for a number of reasons, which Kyle is going to get into in very detail. It's funny. I can look at Ryan on camera looking at my notes. And in his head, he's like, God, I hope he only mentions a couple of these sentences that he wrote here. (laughs) I wanted to add my comments onto there, too, but I just texted them to you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I guess you got to choose your words, but let's just be honest here. Okay. This is a Patreon show. She did play the character exceptionally well. Yes. Okay. Um, she had worked some early Ring of Honor, by the way, when you talk about her early work as Alexis LaRee. She, you, you can uh, check her out on some of those shows. I can't remember the specific ones, but she was absolutely um, on some of those early Ring of Honor. Was she? No, because Paul London had already appeared for the company, as had Brian Kendrick. So they were. she was not the first like ROH um grad for lack of a better term to appear on WD television but anyway the reason she was so over in this feud and with the live crowd here at mania is obviously because 
the WWE's largely young male crowd is with her in wanting to bang Trish Stratus, right? I mean, let's just <laughs> like I mean, let's just call it on the carpet, right? I mean, that's what it is. Like, like that's like right. I mean, I yeah, don't know. that's probably part of it. Okay, I mean, I mean, and I, Trish had been around for what six years at this point too. It's like she had been around for a while. This was it was something new, like. The women's division at that time was not what it is today, but mm-hmm. Mickey James could work in comparison to like well, most of the women on the in the division at the time. And look, later in the show, we've got Candace Michelle and Tori Wilson doing the you know the Playboy pillow fight match yeah. or whatever. But, you know, but, like she was she was a breath of fresh air at the time. But but Trish was quite good, and quite frankly, I thought she was tremendous in this match, despite the crowd turning on her. I thought yeah. a lot of her oh, yeah. reversal sequences were tremendous. Um, was this her last year? Right? Because that farewell match with lita that was yeah in 2006. she worked throughout 2006 here and there not a ton of matches but like yeah okay because i'm almost positive that farewell match because it was in toronto right i think that was the cena edge tlc pay-per-view mm-hmm. so it would have been later that year but yeah I, I you know i just think that's why you know jr in his words a defiant crowd yeah, they're they're battling the crowd response on this show throughout, and they, they and, get really and, defensive here. Yeah. yeah, this is the first match where I yeah. think they they had talked about. Jr. had some good one liners during this match. Uh, the King was being the King during Mickey James's entrance, and Jim Ross points out, "I think she's too old for you. She's in her 20s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, King says one time Mark Chapman was a huge John Lennon fan. That's what this reminds me of. Oh wow. my. God. God, a Mark Chapman, John Lennon reference? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but I'll tell you what doesn't make the final cut of this on the WWE Network is that spot. That spot. You got to look where, it up on Daily Motion. Where So they show part of it where uh, Mickey takes her hand, puts it right on Trisha's crotch, okay, when she's in, a, what, a side headlock? Mm-hmm. And then there's a bizarre camera cut on the network of the crowd, where they, yeah, where they just show the crowd cheering, and you could tell something's going on in the rig. And that was anyone that anyone that watched the show yeah. live like knows no. this. It's yeah. a very famous spot. Yeah, but yeah, like she grabs Trish in the crotch, and then they go the camera dead on Mickey James, who proceeds to lick her fingers. <laughs> Lick her hand. It's and, a tremendous spot. You know, I don't care what anyone says. The uh, sexual energy between the two of them and Mickey, you know, kind of being into Trish and all that. And the crowd went freaking nuts for that spot. It's, Again, uh, it goes back to what I said. And, uh, you know, I, you know, now we're talking about this, like, you know, March 24th, 2021, when anyone unearths this from the old time machine. Should talk about the you know, WWE Network. Cancel culture has come for it, hasn't it, boys? <laughs> We can no we can no longer enjoy a shitty six minute double count out between Roddy Piper and Bad News Brown where Roddy Piper paints it. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable what the world's come to. Um and Vince McMahon using the N-word. Yes. Because that was a good thought at the time. Good grief. Just wait till NBC hears about Hulk Hogan. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So they so you mentioned that uh, you know Trish did really well despite the crowd kind of turning on her. There's loud "Let's Go Mickey" chants throughout. I remember this being there that the crowd like overwhelmingly wanted Mickey James to win, and they're on camera uh, on commentary. Jr. saying we have a very vocal, very defiant crowd tonight in Chicago, but 
Mickey James, man, like you were saying, she played that maniacal, crazy woman character so good. Like she does this little laugh after the spot we were just talking about. There's a there's a shot of her on the outside where she does that like maniacal laugh too. Mm-hmm. Um, when Trish does a comeback and she turns the tie with like a head scissors spot, the crowd loudly boos her. Which, yeah, which you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a really cool spot. I'm like, man, this just ain't her night. She yeah. kind of like had that boo boo face a little bit on her. You know, I think I can't remember my women's title lineage, you know, off the top of my head uh, from this period. But I think JR and the Madison Trish had been champion for like a year. I mean, she had dominated. I mean, she dominated the division for years at this point. I think maybe people just wanted to see something new. And again, like I said earlier, they <laughs> identified with Mickey James' character. What she wanted to do. It's just that simple, folks. And going well, I in, mean, you sh- yeah, go ahead, Justin. I was just, I mean, don't let's not take away from how incredibly freaking hot Mickey James was, yeah, in this match and at this time. 100%. <laughs> King says, if Mickey's skirt got any shorter, it'd be a belt. Um, I kind of suss it off. <laughs> Leave it to oh, Jerry Waller. Uh, it's uh, yeah, I mean, like going in, like I said, it was fairly predictable that Mickey James is going to win because like the way they had built this up and it was a very good storyline and they had built it up for months and months and months. And it was like, Mickey has to go over here. And this is why we were trying the night before to get her to admit that she was going to win. Uh, but yeah, so it ends. So Trish goes, uh, let's see, we talked about the famous spot that was edited on the network and it's not long after that, that, uh, Mickey hits the chick kick covers gets the pinfall wins the title i believe she's been women's champion like on four occasions now but this was the first time that she won the title so i mean edge and uh, foley is the most memorable match on this show but like after that i mean this is it's up there i mean when i think of wrestlemania 22 that trish mickey james match was pretty heavily anticipated the crowd reaction during it was great uh, it was kind of like a turning point in the, in the history of the women's division. You've got the famous edited spot because it was controversial. So this this one really stands out for me on the show. It's a little sloppy at times, but no, it's it's memorable. What did this get in the Observer? Let's see. Two stars from Dave. Two stars. No, it's interesting. I, I feel that no match on the show overstayed its welcome. You know, we yeah. talk about a lot when we're reviewing these shows in the current era that Eh, you know, this match could have had five minutes chopped off. I don't, I didn't get that sense. Yeah, this was at eight minutes, eight minutes and 48 seconds. Yeah, not just this match, but really the entire show. I think everything was a a fairly decent length. Ayo. (laughs) I could have gone somewhere else else with that, but uh, I'll move on to the next section. (laughs) So uh, Vince is now backstage with his entire family. And man, he looked ridiculous here. That bronzer <laughs> was out of control. He looks just insane. Motherfucker looked like shoe leather. <laughs> he says that uh, we're going to have the first ever McMahon family prayer after first mocking that Sean told him he should pray. And then this is, I remember laughing in the arena when he said this, God, let's face it. I don't like you and you don't like me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Shawn Michaels insinuating that I'm the one that should be praying? Huh? Can you imagine that? No. Can you imagine me, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, praying? No. Guess what? That's exactly what I'm going to do. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what we're going to do. 
we're going to have our first ever McMahon family prayer. Everybody on your knees. Come on, get on your knees. Come on. I know you're pregnant. Get on. Come on. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Get on. Okay. Come on. All right. Close your eyes and bow your head. God, let's face it. I don't like you. You don't like me. I've defied every law you've ever had and yet been tremendously successful. And I'm sure, God, you never intended on a 60-year-old to have a Herculean physique as I do. That was a good line. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, but he, yeah, of course, I... made his pregnant daughter get down on her knees, yes. which is like she looked very thrilled to do that, by the way. Stephanie's expecting. Uh, yep. As we this mentioned, we first... got heel Linda McMahon here. Yeah, we, that was the first child, right? Because they so. kept making, they made like a big deal about it on TV all the time. Like, mm-hmm. what when DX was baby faces, didn't yeah. they? Like, oh, like who got her? Who would get her pregnant and stuff? Yeah, I think yeah. So after that, we go to the casket match. Uh, so they're they're talking about the streak at this point in the Undertaker's career now, and uh, it's Undertaker and Mark Henry in a casket match, and it's. This is really not much of a match. It's, uh, I guess one of the things that's notable for me is that like at the beginning of the match, Mark Henry got a ton of offense in. And uh, I, I guess when we look at the match, and as we were talking about this off air, one of the bigger storylines, Kyle, maybe you want to elaborate on this, is that uh, Mark Henry's status at the time, that his 10-year his contract he had signed back in 96 was coming due, and kind of what, what the feeling was in the industry at the time on that. Okay, unless if Justin has anything specific to say about this match, I just want to get to that part. Yeah. Justin? No, nothing? Okay. Yeah, this is the I only cast. Okay, only casket match in media history, which I think is still true, right? I don't think there's ever been another casket match. The Undertaker, I was thinking Undertaker never had one, and uh, the only other guy who would do it would be a Kane, right? Yeah, not that I remember. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, the, you, you get the leap over the casket. Impressive by, the ta- uh, by Undertaker. Uh, the tombstone, I thought. Doing that spot to Mark Henry is pretty damn impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taker wins, streak continues, yada, yada, yada. Okay. I don't want to talk about any of that. Because what I remember at the time was this fascinating thing. You know, for years, you heard about WWE regretting giving Mark Henry that 10 year deal. You know, they made him sexual chocolate. They want, Mark has said this. They very clearly wanted him to quit. Mm hmm. They, they gave him a lot of embarrassing storylines with like Mae Young and whatnot. I mean, sweet Jesus, you got a penis. <laughs> China's friend, Sammy. Okay, that is something that is better left unsaid. Um, but he kind of started getting good at the beginning of 2006. Or he started working like, Mark, you would think Mark Henry should, like this big badass, right? And when the casket match was signed, everyone's like, all right, well, this is it for Mark Henry. It's over. And they re-signed him. And he stayed around for so much longer. I was so fascinated by this at the time because, like, everyone was like, oh, my God, they're, 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 for sure this is the way they're writing Mark Henry off into the sunset. No, they re-signed him. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I, I thought that was so fascinating. And, you know, there are people who love that Hall of Pain run that he had in 2011. It was really good. 
I have a question for you guys. And, and, and Mark Henry, I think, is a shining example of this. How easy or hard is it for you guys when a guy is sort of um, slotted in a certain way, like he was in 1998, 1999, to look past that years later when he's actually doing good work? Because for me, it was really hard for me to like appreciate Mark Henry um, when he was doing good work in his career. Cause I, you know, first impressions are everything they say. And that first impression of him just wasn't good. And it's just like, it's the big show is kind of another example of this too. He finally started working like a big man should way after you think he should have, like, you know, way after he, he debuted the company. What's your guys thoughts on that? I'll let you take it, Justin. I, I think I can look past it for the most part, but it certainly dampens the amount I can invest into the storyline. I mean, I agree with you. You can't really look at him dominating people, you know, Hall of Pain without, you know, thinking about, you know, birthing a rubber glove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have the same but, exact thing. But but at the same time, you know, you should also look at it as that also says speaks to how good that Hall of Pain stuff was that you invested in it at all, considering his past. Mm -hmm. I think that this was one of the biggest problems I had with Bradshaw over the years because he was just a jobber for years and i to be honest with you i never really got into apa either i know a lot of people really liked apa i never really got much out of apa and then when he had his singles run as a heel i never bought him as a champion and i, I think it's that issue of i thought of him as justin hawk bradshaw <laughs> i thought of him as being a jobber for years and years and i think sometimes you can get past that like if a guy really has a big makeover but like you know Mark Henry was always huge. Uh, so he basically had the same look. Uh, so I could see where like it's harder to look past that for him. Uh, and Bradshaw, like Bradshaw was a big guy when he was doing Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Uh, you can look at someone, and I actually did like the Jinder Mahal title run, which I know is a controversial take, but Jinder like, was a totally different guy than when he was a jobber, you know, when he was the world champion. That's what I mean by like, remaking yourself it's it's a body business let's be honest and Jinder Mahal at that point didn't look like the guy that was in three-man band well earlier. I mean let, I, I think there's a big name out there right now who I mean you look at some of the stuff he did in the past and it's kind of embarrassing that's Drew McIntyre mm -hmm. he was part of 3MB go go back and look at some of that stuff it, it's not good but uh, yeah Ryan like you said the key is you change your body and even possibly more so than that, you got to go away for quite a while. Yeah. Drew's a guy that did that because Drew's a guy that did that because he got jacked. He grew facial hair. He didn't have the baby face anymore. Like he looked like a whole different guy. I mean, if, if, if Mark Henry had actually left the company for years and came back and did the hall of pain, I, I think we have an even higher opinion of it. Yes, Kyle, okay? yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I was going to pivot to that point. This is a modern issue. I think because you're seeing guys who are with the, you know, Mark Henry was always employed by WB and yeah. it's like, he struggles. He kind of gets pushed. You know, he, they try to do something with him in like a three and then here he gets hurt a few times. And then it's like 2011, 13 years into his WWE run. 
that he really gets it. And, it, you know, in the old days, like just said, guys would leave and they'd come back and they might come back. And it was easier to accept that way. But it, it's, you know, when WWE's kind of had a national monopoly here for the most part of the 21st century, it, it, it's really weird to watch these guys, um, you know, kind of ma- have these late career maturations. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's very unique to the 21st century, I believe. Yeah. But good for Mark Henry for getting good. Yeah. I mean, the, the lesson here is Warlord should have just stuck around for a while. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Batista wishes he would, his favorite wrestler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know our, our patron Liam is a big fan of the Warlord. Got to throw that out there from your uh, series you guys recorded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh shout out liam so they show the build to michaels and mcmahon now and we were talking about the bret hart stuff earlier and i think it's really interesting how they worked bret hart into the storyline uh you know vince had said it and they played the highlights in, in the clips leading up to this match about how I, I screwed bret hart don't make me screw you too uh they had done like the montreal finish again wasn't that on saturday night's main event yeah um so it's just kind of interesting that they brought Montreal back into a storyline just as Brett was coming back into the company. Plus, we talked about this on our SummerSlam 05 uh, Sean Hogan flashback show on the main feed. Sean did it too the previous summer in the build of his Hulk Hogan match when he had that great Raw segment in Montreal where he teased Brett was going to be coming out. So this is all happening like as Brett Hart's kind of back in the fold a little bit. The cynic in me says, hey, they got that SummerSlam buy rate. And they're like, yeah, maybe teasing Bret Hart isn't the worst thing for business. <laughs> yeah. So Vince is like way over the top when he comes out yeah, for this match. Yeah. So like, you know, I had posted something for patrons about it came to me when I was watching this. Um, the thing I'd posted for Pete was like just a, a ranking of Royal Rumble matches. And the match he had with Ric Flair in 2002, I had noted, I remember my write-up, I'm like, this was kind of that period where the Mr. McMahon character sort of descended into cartoonishness. Yeah. And by 2006, it was just full on cartoon. Yeah. To say the least, (laughs) he comes out and he is, uh, yeah, he's very proud of his muscle and fitness cover, which is framed at ringside. Got these, this just massive smile on his face as he's going around and it starts out HBK just beats the hell out of Vince all over ringside outside of the ring. <laughs> you get back in the ring. Sean predictably breaks that frame of the muscle and fitness cover over Vince's head. And it's not too long until we get a spirit squad running. And uh, JR, oh, look at these damn cheerleaders, he says. And King says, all oh, them damn jock sniffers, the spirit squad. This gimmick was so lame. It was never going to really get over. Oh, you uh, so you think that that's very interesting because I once got into an argument with the WWE employee about that. Yeah, this was never going to work. Ken Doan was very talented, and it sucks for him because of that group. I mean, he was he was a well, super talented guy, well, but this gimmick was just horseshit. We should mention that Dolph Ziggler was in that group, and he is still employed by the yeah. company. So, <laughs> just I don't want to leave that on the vine. I it was you know on that podcast that I had referenced that I was doing at the time. I got into a spirited. Uh, pardon the pun, argument with Al Snow about the Spirit Squad. And he was on there and I posed a question to him. 
I said, hey, you know, is there any concern with a gimmick like this that it could be a career ruiner like the Red Rooster was for Terry Taylor? And he got pissed at me. And it's funny the tact he chose because he chose to say, oh, well, what do you mean the Red Rooster was bad? You remember it? So it can't be bad. And I'm like, what? I'm like, wait a minute. You're defending the Red Rooster? Hmm. Like, you think that was good? (laughs) The fucking Red Rooster? The cock of the walk? (laughs) And because, you know, it obviously was not a career killer for Dolph Ziggler because the man is still employed in 2021. But for the other four guys, it was. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, like watching him at the time... Again, like Kenny was the guy to me that stood out the most. He was the leader of the group. Yeah. He, and he was positioned as such. Yeah. And he has wrestled like up until I'm looking at his listing here. He was he was working MLW back in 2019. But, you know, he never achieved stardom. This guy could fly, man. He does that leg drop off the top rope here when they interfere, like over halfway across the ring, which is a pretty crazy looking spot. Like at the time, that was the talk: is that he was the guy that could go on to maybe become a star in the industry. And he had some attitude issues, I believe, which doomed him behind Mm -hmm. the scenes. Yeah. Well, it's not like guys with attitude problems haven't. Uh, I know. Look at this match. (laughs) Yeah, I mean they they pick and choose with that though. So yeah, I had in my notes: Kenny, the star of the group, goes for that leg drop, but he misses, and then uh, Sean fights off the rest of the group with a megaphone. Sean tosses Kenny, who flips over the top onto the rest of the squad on the outside, which is a cool spot. But then Vince hits a clothesline to kind of turn the tide. And Vince starts working over Sean uh, with his belt to choke out Sean. Vince is going to do the sweet chin music, and he's like all over the top, dancing around the ring like he's going to do it. But Vince or but Sean blocks it. <laughs> and then JR says, McMahon is staggering like Otis Campbell on a Saturday night, which is a Andy Griffith reference for... Those of you that don't know, he was like JR the Mayberry, was a, Mayberry Town drunk. Yeah, JR was a little over the top in this match, which was, <laughs> was noted by Taz and Michael Cole afterwards. You think he calls Shane the spawn of Satan or something in this match? And yeah, uh, Sean ends up using the belt to whip Vince. Uh, Shane McMahon, as I said, comes out. He hits Sean with a kendo stick before Sean can hit the sweet chin music. Uh, and then they do the spot. So remember Vince McMahon's kiss my ass club. Oh, who could forget? <laughs> so Shane is going to shove Sean's head into Vince's ass, but instead Sean blocks him, shoves Shane's head into his father's ass as Vince is really eating it up. Not knowing it's his own son back there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sitting here watching this and like, he obviously does know it's Shane <laughs> yeah. in real life. Imagine having that look on your face, knowing your son's face is being shoved <laughs> up against your ass. Oh. What the hell is Vince, wrong Vince is, with Vincent Vince, Kennedy McMahon? He's the wearing like thong underwear. Like I, I just, I'm sitting here watching. Like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Hey, so he's Sean, method. <laughs> Sean ends up handcuffing Shane uh, on the outside to the bottom ring rope, and then he hits. Uh, he hits him with a kendo stick and returns several times. He gives Vince a big chair shot in the ring. It's Woo! all head. I mean, there is no hand up at all. It's all head and chair. That was a nasty chair shot. Yeah. Vince bleeds. He gets juice now. 
Uh, Sean goes on this rampage where he gets out a ladder, he gets out trash cans, he gets out a table, puts Vince on the table, climbs this ladder, then decides that ladder is not big enough, gets out a second ladder, brings it into the ring. You know, it's about a 15-foot ladder. Of course, you know, JR saying it's a 30-foot ladder or something like that. Gets out the second ladder, punches Vince again to reposition him on the table, puts a trash can around Vince, who lays on the table in this trash can, Michaels goes up top. On my old digital camera, I filmed this spot. I have it saved on a memory card somewhere. Uh, but Sean hits a flying elbow drop off the taller ladder onto Vince through the table. Pretty crazy spot for an old man like Vince McMahon to be taken. Yeah, say what you will about Vince, and there's certainly a lot to be said. A 61-year-old man, I looked it up, he was 61 at this time, I believe, taking a blind elbow drop from a ladder with a garbage can on his head. Insane. <laughs> so medical comes out. They're at ringside, but Sean's like kicking him back. He's not done. Gives him the super kick. Gets the one, two, three. They take Vince out on the stretcher. Vince gives a middle finger as they're hauling him out. <laughs> <laughs> Which I believe he, he had done that after the Hogan match too, three years earlier, right? Yes. And I'll, I'll say, you know, this is a way better match than Hulk and Yes, Vince yes, from th- Mania nineteen. Now, Justin, what do you make of this? Since you were you're out of the loop at the time, what what did you uh, what were your thoughts on Shawn Michaels and Vince McMahon? It was entertaining, although mostly forgettable as a match <laughs> just by itself. Better than you were expecting. I'd say it was about exactly what you'd expect from a Vince and Shawn match from this time. Okay. You know, it was maybe, I I agree with that. It was maybe even a little more over the top than overbooked uh, than Vince matches uh, were, probably because he was just getting a little older. Uh, Wrestling in tight black jeans. Why would you do that? (laughs) Yes. Why? It was like, it makes me uncomfortable to watch. Um, (laughs) There were, we want Brett Matt chance early in the match. Quickly died down. I noted that. Uh, Jim Ross, a few lines uh, that we need to be talking. Castrated of his dignity. This is a play on Vince McMahon's raped of his dignity uh, for Andre the Giant Ken Patera angle uh, of the days of yore. And something that I think the Peacock folks would not allow on the network these days from Jim Ross. Quote, Vince is on Queer Street. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Well, this one's on Peacock. You can check it out. See if it's on there. Yeah. See how long it lasts. But um, what did you guys think about the way Sean built the finish? Like how he was going to do Sweet Chin Music. Then he's like, no, I'm not going to do Sweet Chin Music. Then he like gets the ladder. He's like, no, I'm going to get a bigger ladder. I okay, thought that was good. The garbage can. Okay. Because, I mean, they, they built this up, you know, like he had been, McMahon had been really giving it to him over the previous few weeks. And how Vince, Vince was seemingly getting the better of him, you know, recreating Montreal. And so, like, Sean is so frustrated that he wants to send a message I thought it made sense psychologically. I liked it. And we all remember. Not very Christian of him. Yeah. yeah. We, we remember the tag match the next month, don't we? Yeah, where Vince tagged oh, with, no. or Sean tagged with God, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> the spotlight. Oh. I'm proud to say I've never seen that. Unbelievable. Again, what a thing for this born again Christian to do. But again, I was a big. Shawn Michaels fan growing up. And I think this is one of the reasons why uh, I underrated this show for a long time is just because I got to see Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 
and he wrestled Vince McMahon. Oh, but you know, it is what it is. It's, it's got that memorable ladder, ladder spot. And to me, it did exceed expectations. I was expecting to be really shitty and it was better than Hulk and Vince. So, and as a 61 year old man grinning ear to ear as his son was face was smashing up against his ass. It was more, it was more entertaining than I was expecting at the time. Now, one that it's a good match. The next one, the world title match, it's a good match. But I also at the time felt kind of let down by was this triple threat because, and it's might sound funny because we are always talking about matches going on too long on the show these days. But I thought this one was too short. I remember in the crowd talking with my friend, I was sitting by like, that's it. It's over already. Like I felt, I felt like the angle Mysterio Orton match was just getting going and it was over already. Um, now this show was almost four hours. So it was probably had a tight spot to fit it in here. And there were some botches throughout the match, but I had really high hopes for this as a big angle fan at the time. Angle is one of the best in the business in 2006. You know, Mysterio put into this match after winning the rumble. Orton's still, you know, like a guy on the rise. I mean, this is Orton's going through some personal issues at this time, for sure. He's kind of at the, peak of his asshole form in 2006 and in fact kyle uh randy orton got busted did he not around this time yeah right after uh i guess it was rolled a joint backstage at smackdown bruce pritchard stooged him off what a dork (laughs) imagine imagine i'm just gonna say this right now look it's our patreons they know who i am they know what i'm all about okay if you tell on someone for smoking weed you're a loser Seriously, yes. You're a huge loser. And you know what makes me actually upset that Bruce Pritchard was the guy who narked him off? Bruce tells a story on his podcast, which I thought was one of the coolest stories ever, that after Survivor Series 88 was over, it was here at the Richfield Coliseum, he was like, after the arena was empty, he just went up in the back row and smoked the joint. I was like that. I was like, I kind of like Bruce Pritchard now. And then I re- recall about this that he was the guy who allegedly stu- we should say allegedly yeah. stooged Orton off. What a nerd. Okay, hundred hundred percent. Don't don't be a narc, but also don't be stupid enough to roll your joints at at work. <laughs> That's true too. A controversial decision. I, I will concede to you. Uh, you know, I mean, it's certainly, yeah, it's it's something that you know I wouldn't advocate anyone else doing. Yeah, so he got suspended <laughs> after after Mania twenty two. But and, and, and yeah. the plan was, you, you talk about his personal problems to go through. The plan was Vince very much wanted Randy Orton to win the title here. Addition, like months prior was the plan before Batista got hurt. You know, Justin, you had asked us when we were texting each other before the show, what was the plan for Batista? Had he not been hurt? I believe it was Batista dropping the title to Randy Orton. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So this one, it's like, it's so brief. It's less than 10 minutes. I think this match is about nine minutes long. This is this is Rey Mysterio winning the world title for the first time, and he gets quite the entrance, although <laughs> I don't think it was nearly as good as they had hoped. So POD. What? Yeah, what do you think my what do you think my thoughts on POD? Yeah. I got some thoughts on this too. Because <laughs> so POD did the theme, which Ray still uses to this day, and they're up on one of the skyscrapers, like on the left hand side of the entrance while playing him out. 
And I will say Ray's entrance gear here with like the Aztec inspired uh, headdress is really cool. But like, if you think of all the live band performances at Mania over the years, this is like one of the weakest ones ever. And not just because the band isn't that great, but like it's mixed terrible. Like you, if you listen to it at the beginning, like all you hear is drums. You don't hear like anything else. There's guys playing guitars and you don't even hear the guitars. So the the song sounds like really thin, I think. And then as he comes, as his entrance goes on, they must have elevated the mix with the guitars a little bit. You start to hear him at the end, but like it doesn't really have that big time feel to it that they were hoping for. I didn't even plan that big time, no pun intended. Ew. <laughs> but it could have. This could have been really cool. I thought it was underwhelming. Although Ray's entrance gear was pretty cool. Puyaka, puyaka. Yeah, these stinks. Yeah. <laughs> okay, they're not good. They're not good. They're part of a genre of music I just don't like at all, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I you like of a nation? <laughs> I liked uh, Orton's theme back then. The we are, light. we are. <laughs> don't say that. You of a nation. I, I'm kind of mad because I don't think Ryan noticed. I held my face in this freeze pained way because no, I, was, I, was, like, I had my notes on the screen. He, he, he was like, I wanted, I wanted you to like snapshot it. Like here, I'll try to get P O D youth of a nation. <laughs> All right. I copied that. <laughs> okay. there we Got go. it. Screenshot. Oh, so yeah. Again, angles like kind of at the top of his game here. He's, he's a great worker at the time. Orton was doing good stuff too, but this angle was, his... was the crowd favorite here. Too. Yes. Oh yes. The crowd wanted angle to win. No doubt. Which about it. is odd given the storyline. So can, can I, I'm going to bring this up now. This was my number one takeaway from this show it was it, it felt like probably not the birth, but it kind of felt like the coming out party for the kind of modern fan, the smart mark, if you will, this, you know, a little bit snarky. If you're not giving us exactly what we want, we're going to shit on what you give us. You know, they cheered for Mickey James, the heel shot. I mean, I was shocked uh, about the amount of booze that Ray Mysterio got during this match, mm -hmm. uh, especially someone who wasn't watching at the time and just retrospectively active. Was this kind of the first big moment of fans taking over an event yeah like okay so it happened at mania 18 yes but... i was gonna say that that, that that to me is the watershed moment and okay. i have i have some big thought like the hogan rock match to me um is when that first started and it's only gotten more frequent as time has gone on i, but... I guess i guess i think about this one more just because it was not the entire show but there there's definitely more than just one match where yeah the crowd a, was like, nope, nothing. I think you're onto something too, because that thought came through my mind too, where it happened at 18, but like there's not as many memorable instances after that. And then on this show, it happens multiple times. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it would, you know, and we don't want to, I mean, because my God, is there a road to go down if we were like investigate 2002 to 2006 crowd rebelling against WWE booking? Um, 
Ryan, you can speak to this because you were watching. Rey Mysterio was booked freaking shitty during this time period for a guy who was going to be the world champion. Like him losing the match to Orton at No Way Out when he put his spot up on the line. Mm-hmm. And then Teddy Long just like coming out and saying, well, you know what, Ray, I know you lost, but you're back in. And and Ray be like, yeah, like it just that's not how you book a strong baby face. And my God, the way he was booked once he won the title. Remember Ray Mysterio and world champion in squash matches? Now, if you didn't lift out of the air, you hear that and say, oh, the world champion was doing squash matches. What's wrong with that? Well, he was losing them. Yeah. <laughs> losing them. The world get got squashed by like Great Kali is the one I remember. Maybe Mark Henry did one too. Yeah. I mean, they booked him shitty. And yeah. I think that had a lot to do with the crowd not liking him. Um, or, you know, at least in this instance, turning on him. I mean, I don't think it was a long-term issue. Ray's always been, you know, one of the more popular guys. But, you know, why Chicago turned on him here? Way he was booked. And that's always why you get these reactions. It's rebelling against the booking. Yeah. Well, and the other weird thing to me about this match and in, in the crowd was them basically taking any moment that Ray had offense and them booing. And maybe this is WWE... And Ryan, hopefully, maybe you can speak to this. Maybe it's WWE messing with the sound. But as soon as he wins the title, I don't hear any boos. It's like everybody who was booing before had their hands in their pocket. The crowd looks happy. Yeah. And what I will say is that, I mean, it's been 15 years, but when I watched this back, I didn't remember that reaction at all. (laughs) Actually being there, like I didn't remember if you would have asked me a week ago before I rewatched this. What was the crowd like for Mysterio's title win? I would have told you, yeah, they liked it. I I don't remember the revolt against Mysterio in this match being there in the arena. And it comes across on TV pretty well. I just, it didn't stand out to me for some reason. Like, I don't really remember that. I remembered the pushback against Trish and then obviously the main event because it's way over the top of the main event here that we're we're about to get to. But I didn't remember this. And I, I think that there was a good amount of people cheering him. The, the boos were pretty vocal. They were loud. But he also got like big pops throughout. It was definitely like a mixed reaction. It wasn't like everyone was booing him. But I, for some reason, I just I just didn't remember that. And maybe, you know, when he finally got the title, it's historic and stuff. Then people kind of came home for him. But You know, you, you know it, it's funny you mentioned that, right? Because I didn't remember it either. Like the thing that I remember the most, if, if you know, again, a week ago, someone's like, your thoughts on Kurt Angle, Rey Mysterio, Randy Orton from WrestleMania 22. I say, yeah, I remember the match was pretty short and felt like it was short-changed in favor of the Raw title match. By the way, third year in a row, SmackDown's championship match clearly was presented as inferior to Raw. Yeah. Here. You know, we saw it at 20 and 21. I, I think that is worth noting. Um, something else within the context of the match that didn't help Ray, he didn't have a good night in the ring. He botched that yes. 619 spot on the ring post. That didn't help. And then I don't know who agented this or came up with some of these spots. Why do you have Ray tap? Yeah, that was so freaking bizarre. Like the referees distracted and Ray Mysterio, the guy you're putting over in the end, the baby face is tapping out. What the? F- yeah. And then later on, he does a total heel spot when Orton is tapping to the ankle lock and he's like tackling the ref. Mm-hmm. Instead of just breaking it up like a baby's, I, I, I was scratching my head watching this. This is a match where my notes were definitely wound up longer than I anticipated because there was a bunch of stuff I didn't remember. 
Uh, we haven't even gotten to what I think is the juiciest part of this whole storyline. How the, the, the whole Eddie Guerrero, um, uh, you know, how that was used in storyline, his mm-hmm. death. Yeah. What, what did you guys think of how WWE handled that? Like with Orton make, making the comments about Eddie's in hell and all that. Yeah, it's the, just too soon. I didn't like it at the time. Yeah. You know. So I got into a spirited argument at the time with uh, – here's a name from the past. Al Snow? No. I, got, I get in a lot of spirited <laughs> arguments. But this was uh, PW Insider's Buck Woodward at the time. He's no longer writes for that website. So he was dead set against it from the beginning. And it turns out that, look, of course, this brought up WWE's worst instincts. You brought it up, Ryan, the Eddie's in hell. That is so foul. That is so foul to do. That's just like really unacceptable shit to do to draw heat. It's, you know, just like JBL doing the three amigos and the Eddie shimmy. Obviously, what Orton said was worse. And I'm sure Orton would take it back if you asked him now. But I brought up initially when it was very clear that, Ray was probably going to win the Rumble and he was doing this whole thing. Oh, I'm going to win it for Eddie. I said, I got no problem with this. Around this same time, I want to say it was kind of within a year or so. I'm sure you guys remember this. We're all big NFL fans here. When Brett Favre's father passed away. Mm -hmm. And remember, everyone's like, oh, is he going to, because he had that big Iron Man streak. He never missed a game. And he like passed away really close to a Monday Night Football game and he still played. And you guys remember this, I'm sure, and I'm sure anyone else who follows the NFL at that time does as well. John Madden just kept talking about his fall, oh, like every touchdown, and, and Favre like played out of his mind that night. He threw like five touchdowns or something, and every, oh my God, his dad's got to be looking down from heaven, you know? Oh my God, his dad's got to be so proud. And so you do see that in the quote unquote real sports world. But what you don't see is like the other team sacking Brett Favre and like, you know, mocking his dad. Yeah. Like that's where like WWE always gets it wrong. Like I had no problem with like, okay, hey, we don't know what we're going to do with the SmackDown title now. Let's run with Ray as kind of an homage to Eddie. I had no problem with that. But, you know, them later bringing out their worst instincts uh, was a problem. And and I I did not care for that at all. Yeah. No, I mean, if, you know, obviously this this whole story, like, you're, there's no chance Mysterio's winning the world title without Eddie's death. And so it did become a little bit predictable what they were doing. And, it, yeah, I just felt like the whole thing, though, was just very bad taste at the time. I didn't like it at all. Bad way to get heat, I think, is, is the best way, as you put it, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the match, it's all right, but I, I just, I felt like it underdelivered. It was too, too short, a little sloppy. There's some cool spots mixed in though um there's a spot early in the match where like angle does this double german to him where he he holds orton and orton has ray and ray just like flies across the ring that was pretty cool um there's another spot where orton's like crotched on the top turnbuckle and ray charges at angle and angle like tosses ray up who then turns that into a hurricane rana on orton which was cool but yeah as, as the match goes on there's there's some botches from Ray, and then as we talked about, like the the agenting of the match left a little to be desired in getting over your babyface soon to be world champion. Yeah, you know, I think you said it right earlier on. If uh, 
you know, we, we joke about match length today in 2021, but it's kind of weird to have a world title match on the biggest show of the year be a sprint. Yeah. And this was a sprint. It was uh, nine minutes and 25 seconds. Woo. Mm-hmm. Cena and Triple H, like with entrances, get like 50. Yeah. And those entrances are long. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So we have Mysterio win the world title. And uh, afterwards, he celebrates on the ramp with Vicky Guerrero and Chavo. And they zoom in on the Eddie Guerrero banner that's hanging on uh, one of the sides of the arena. And then we go backstage and they show Cena and Triple H prepping for their match. And JR says that uh, Cena was, <laughs> quote, one of the few people to listen to hip hop in Westbury, Massachusetts. He's always been different, which is like a laughable comment. <laughs> Nobody was listening to hip hop, I guess. <laughs> uh, they show Hunter getting rubbed down, which is like so weird. He's he's getting his he's got like his arms out and his wrists are getting taped. While someone behind him is rubbing his shoulders and he's just kind of like grimacing and this goes on and on and on and on. And they start to set the stage for what they know is going to happen with the crowd. Uh, They have JR say, I truly believe the majority of the fans in attendance tonight are traditional wrestling fans who will support Triple H. And the crowd was already chanting Cena sucks at this point. My favorite part about that, like him, him trying to, you know, kind of putting over Triple H a little bit. You know, the traditional fans are going to root for him. When like 20 seconds before that, he's talking about Triple H getting pedicures and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of contradictory stuff in that. And it is, that is fascinating considering, you know, the, the world we live in now where the fans kind of do what they want and how much they try to combat it back then. Mm-hmm. Where nowadays, you know, they just kind of let us do our thing. Yeah. I think. This is also like the time where that anti-Cena stuff like really got over the top. This is when they really were starting to turn on him. And this crowd and that match was just, we're almost yeah, there. I have a it, question. It crazy. I got a yeah. question for that. Yeah. So right before the main event, they have their cool down segment, uh, <laughs> which is the Playboy pillow fight match with Tori Wilson and Candice Michelle, both former uh, Playboy cover, cover girls. And uh, just a complete waste of time. It's it's kind of funny how when they're doing the entrances, Jr. starts talking about Frank Gotch and George Hackenschmidt. <laughs> okay, I laughed at that. <laughs> and then and then King is like, "You why are you talking about Frank Gotch?" Yeah, he's he's comp- he literally compares the gate to the Gotch Hackenschmidt 1911 match at Comiskey Park to tonight's show. He like gives the figures as Candace is entering the ring. Really can't make this shit up. <laughs> I said my notes. He says, this one won't be Gotch and Hackenschmidt. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so as they get underway, you get the best from uh, horny Jim Ross. And, uh, you know, the king being the king. There's a, a line about, I suggested this match be held in the frozen food aisle of the local supermarket, but nobody went for it, says horny Jim Ross. Uh, Tori Wilson rubs her dog's ass in Candace's face. <laughs> oh, the dog. Jim Ross says, right now, Candace Michelle is dominating, and there's nothing wrong with a dominant female, quite frankly. That's Jim Ross, not not Jerry Lawler, by the <laughs> way, who says that. Uh, JR says, I knew you'd rise to the occasion during this match, King. <laughs> In the end, Tori Wilson wins uh, with a roll-up, and 
Jim Ross says, the girls had a spirited affair, and you know a little bit about spirited affairs, don't you, King? That's a pretty good line. Not Look, much to talk about here. <laughs> they're hot. It's a thing of the past. You're not getting matches like this anymore. Uh, no. You know, WrestleMania 5 had the Mega Powers explode. WrestleMania 22 had Vince's Devils explode. <laughs> this is, this uh, would have been pixelated in the Tokyo Dome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's the main event. It's Cena and Triple H. This crowd, I cannot tell you. I mean, I don't know I've ever heard a louder crowd response for or against a wrestler than I saw and heard that night. That place was so anti-Cena. I mean, I want to say 90% were booing John Cena. It was insanely loud. And Ryan, Ryan, I hate to break this to you, but this is kind of a WrestleMania trend with you, you know, live attending. Yes. <laughs> the main event we saw. Yeah. yeah it's West Newberry, Massachusetts. Weighing in at 248 pounds. He is the doctor of thugonomics and the reigning WWE champion, John Cena. A very unique ovation, the reaction from this capacity crowd here at WrestleMania 22. So I was conflicted about this as a fan because I wasn't the biggest Cena fan, but I also wasn't a big Triple H fan. So like I was going in like, I don't really know who I want to win this match, to be honest with you. And maybe that is another reason why I kind of played down the, the how how good this show was, I guess. Looking back top to bottom, it's a pretty solid show. But, you know, like I thought the entrances here. All right, so... <laughs> Let's talk about this. Triple H's is kind of weird with the Conan getup. He comes up on the throne with the King of Kings theme and then gets a time to play the game, switches to his other theme song. He comes out, whatever. Cena's is pretty cool with the... Uh, oh, hold, wait, hold on. Wait, wasn't Triple H like earmarked to play Conan in a movie or something around this time? Or did I, I misread that? Or mis- I think he was, actually, now that you mention it. That sounds familiar. I thought that was the entire point of uh, why he did that entrance is because he was supposed to possibly play. I do not remember that. I just thought it was because he was such a, a big Arnold fan, but it could be. Makes Eight sense. movies you didn't know almost starred WWE superstars. Triple H, King Conan, Crown of Iron. Remember the time Triple H walked to the ring at WrestleMania 22 first match against John Cena dressed as Conan the Barbarian. The crown, the armor, the fur, the loincloth, the shawl, medieval, the medieval bottle of water. <laughs> Very nice. <story. laughs> uh, well, apparently this wasn't just a random wardrobe change, but was intended as a nod as Hunter's purported role in a new Conan film. Hunter, who is friends with the writer and director of the original Conan the Barbarian movie, John Milius, Milius? I don't know, sent him the script for the movie franchise called King Conan, Crown of Iron. The Wachowski brothers of Matrix fame uh, were brought in as producers for the project, and Triple H seemed pretty excited about the possibility of stepping into Arnold Schwarzenegger's shoes. Hmm. Uh, The project was batted around for a while, but it never happened. So good call, Justin Joyce. Wow, yeah, I didn't know that one. Thank you. So Cena does this... uh... You know, like a Depression era mobster entrance. They play this video beforehand talking about the Great Depression. They show Al Capone and the crowd pops for that. And then you get like an old 30s sedan coming out. Like the entranceway rises up and this car comes out. And one of the guys on the side 
with the Tommy gun is none other than CM Punk, who was uh, assigned to Ohio Valley Wrestling at this point in time, and coming he, off of his Ring of Honor run. And he looked like he didn't want anyone to know some. <laughs> I remember yeah. catching at the time, I was like, oh my God, that's CM Punk. Yep. So he's part of Cena's entrance here, and you know, you fast forward five years, and he's wrestling Cena at Money in the Bank in the same venue, which is pretty cool, but... Yeah, here he's just playing this uh, extra role, and then Cena comes out in this coat with a Tommy gun, and he fires it off during his entrance, and the crowd boos the ever-loving shit out of him. So like the fact that they knew what reaction Cena was going to get at this point just kind of made all this stuff so like worthless. I thought, but you, I you didn't think it was cool. Yeah, you you know what's not a great look? Uh, a long jacket with shorts. That's true. That is. True. That's not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, I was pretty conflicted on this one. I just kind of sat back gun. and watched. <laughs> I don't know that I really cheered at all. Like I just kind of observed the crowd during this match. And as this as the match starts, you get the typical let's go Cena, Cena sucks, right? But by halfway through the match, that had turned to let's go Cena, fuck you, Cena. Let's go Cena, fuck you, Cena. And if you watch the show on the oh. network, you will see people with middle fingers all over the place. And they edited this. The If you watch, I used to have it, I probably still have it somewhere. Someone recorded this on pay-per-view for me at the time on DVD. And if you watch it as it aired on pay-per-view, you really hear the F you, Cena. But on the network, they ha- they lower the crowd volume. It makes you happy to disappoint me. And if John Cena wins here tonight, Hey, someone, to say the least, unplanned intent directed toward the WWE champion. And there's one point where you can hardly hear the crowd, but you can see everyone yelling. I notice it's in like the last third of the match, and that's really where the there, F you seen it was coming across. There, there was a point in the match I had to re, I was rewinding it like three times trying to figure out because it's, it's just it comes off comes off as very jarbled. Yeah. They well, do not something. even really muted. Yeah, they do something to edit it. Like at different times. At one point it goes down. At one point you can't make it out. But I'll tell you from being there, it was fuck you, Cena, and it was really loud. I have never heard a crowd this hostile at a wrestling show ever. And this is actually the only wrestling show I've been at at Allstate. I've been to other events there, but I hope to go to a wrestling show there again. And it was. It's truly nothing like it. You can see why this is the place that most wrestlers cite as their favorite arena to work at. It was so loud. Anti-Cena just off the charts. And a lot of people thought Triple H was going to win here. Yes. Because, Kyle, talk about the pay-per-view poster for Backlash. Okay, so this was that time period where everyone obsessed over pay-per-view posters for the future. Like, they would release, like, you know, the whatever the pay-per-view was coming up two months from now. And you'd look, oh, my God, that must mean this guy's main eventing it. 
And the Backlash poster, uh, that Backlash 06 was the next pay-per-view, a Raw-only affair, said, Long Live the King with Triple H on the cover. I remember talking about this on the podcast I did that day, and we all picked Triple H to win. We're like, oh, Triple H is going to freaking win. I mean, you know, he hasn't been champion for so long. You know, of course, it's Triple H. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't know what – I I mentioned this to you, Ryan, before we recorded, and you said you were the same opinion that everyone, you know, yourself included, Ronnie, like figured Triple H was going to win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone around me thought he was going to win. And they have like a very old school match. It's actually fairly slow paced, a lot of grappling. And it's not like it's a good match, but it's not a great match by any means. Like it's, I don't know. Go ahead. I I actually, because Justin said he was going to mention something about the reaction to Cena. And I Mm -hmm. want him to actually do that now because I think the question he's going to ask is going to lead into a bunch of notes I have written all of which are not complimentary towards Triple H well my big question is I don't know maybe my memory's wrong was Cena not cheered at 21 no he was fine yeah I think he was cheered what happened in that year okay this is a fascinating question. So we, we could actually, we're actually gonna be able to back up further than even I wanted to. When they did the big switch in the draft with him and Batista, I can't really explain it, but it just went wrong or it went sideways. Like, well, and that was kind of my question was, was it, was it what they were doing with Cena or was there a moment where it's like the fans were just like, you know, F this dude. The first kind of anti-Cena stuff that I recall was SummerSlam 05 against Jericho. When people there, there was kind of like a dual chant or people were cheering for the opponent. Mm-hmm. That, that's the first, and that was right after he moved Ron. I had mentioned this before. People might think I'm out to lunch. I legitimately think them not letting Christian, who they had built up for Cena, just do a pay-per-view job to John Cena started everything going so people wanted that match and when they didn't do it it just all went sideways and remember but like the whole thought was well cena's way younger than batista so we've got to make him the face of the company and we're going to just switch you know, we're going to put Cena on the flagship show and it works because we'll get batista away from triple h too because they needed to be on different shows after their feud was over and it all made sense right like we all knew going into that draft the big plan was they were going to switch shows with Batista and Cena. And my, it, it just, it just all went, and Batista went downhill when he was on SmackDown. Uh, he got hurt, it, not, him getting injured, notwithstanding. It, it, and it just, it snowballed from there. I don't really know how to explain like what that seminal moment was, but I just know it was when that switch was made, things started going wrong. I don't know if it was because it was a live show as opposed to taped, how much that had to do with it. Um, it just did work. And Ryan, you can respond because there's some very specific things that I think happened building to this match. Why I think people were so vociferous against Cena. Yeah. I, I can't pinpoint a moment either. I think you jogged my memory with the Jericho match at SummerSlam. And that seems about right for me. And definitely right after that, that draft, that summer of Oh five, it, I can't, there's definitely not 
a singular moment that stands out that like everyone turned on Cena. It was this gradual thing where people, it started to seem to people like he was, it was being forced a little bit, um, that he was never losing and they, people just kind of revolted against him. I mean, and he changed the character a little bit. He stopped the rapping. Yeah. Stopped rapping. So he wasn't like, he would, he would swear and stuff and say some stuff that you couldn't believe he was saying on TV and like all that stopped. He became like this family friendly character kind of, but even like at WrestleMania, I I knew at the time, like the crowds had kind of turned on him, but like, I was shocked at how much they had turned on him by that night. I did not expect it to be. I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating at all. It was like 90, 10. It was insane. How many, how much of that arena was booing him? He 90% of the arena, I would estimate it was, I was not expecting that at all. If people haven't seen this match in a while or never seen it all, I implore you to just watch it for the introduction. You don't have to watch the full match, even though I think the match is quite good. The previous year, this is right before Cena gets traded to Raw. He works JBL in a pay-per-view main event. It's an I quit match. John Cena is cheered wildly during the introduction. Like you watch it and you're like, what the hell happened in the next couple months? I mean, like, you, you just look at this, you're like, this guy's the future. My God, mm-hmm. just build the company around him right now. It, it, it really was that switch. Now let's get to this match because I'm about to go all in on this Triple H who I thought absolutely fucking sandbagged Cena in the build to this. Like, I get that people had maybe some legitimate gripes against Cena. Hey, he's getting pushed. Hey, he changed the character. But... Triple H knew what that audience was. And spending the entire build saying this guy can't wrestle is fucking shitty. And it, that became a, the line, right? Like yeah. everyone would chant, you can't wrestle at Cena, like that, the rest of his career. It doesn't matter if that's true or not. If John Cena is intended to be the company's number one babies, you can't do that. It's just like, you know, the old rule of the 80s. If you mentioned Hulk Hogan's hair, you were going to get fired. That's true story. Like mm-hmm. it, 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 was, it was the thing. Like you talked to anyone who was employed in the late eighties. WF. They t- that was a rule. You were never to bring up Hulk Hogan's hairline, ever. And Triple H, for, he just killed this guy. He just made him seem like a shitty champion. Like they showed the press conference. Oh, this is gonna be the easiest WrestleMania match I ever had. Yeah. What are we doing? And then the first five minutes of this match, you talked about how it's laid out old school. To me, it was laid out clearly to show that Triple H is just a better in-ring worker. Mm-hmm. And Jim Ross is kind of laying into it a little bit. And then he sort of has this like epiphany mid-match and he gets this great. He's like, you know, I don't understand why people say John Cena can't wrestle. He's the WWE champion. And that's what a play-by-play announcer should say in that position. I just think that, you know, when you talk about why it, you know, the, the people lined up against Cena so vociferously at this show, Triple H had a lot to do with that. And he knew what he was doing. And, you know, I cut him some slack if he didn't do the same exact thing to Roman Reigns 10 years later. I was going to, I dude, I was just literally thinking about the crotch chop in the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. That, I was just thinking about that. Yeah. It's just, you know, nobody else could get away with that for obvious reasons. Yeah. I mean, they also had, yeah, Sean did the crotch chop earlier on the show. Hunter does it. And it's that summer, right? That they did the reformed DX. It, was, it wasn't long after. It was yeah. like, I think even by like late spring. 
yeah, so that gets the crowd going. Uh, yeah, it's like I said, it's a good match. I wouldn't call it a great match. It's a good match. It's the third best match on the show, I think, behind Money in the Bank and uh, Edge Edge Foley. But it's a solid match. I, Dave gave it three and three quarters. Mm. I'd say right about that is about right. I you know have three and three quarters. I mean, it's all about the crowd. Yeah, really. And I was gonna say that honestly, that was the only thing I found and all that interesting about the match. Okay, two things to sum up this match. In retrospect, you, you know, you talked about Ryan walking into the building that day being kind of conflicted who you wanted to win or whatnot. How bad would Triple H winning have been here? Like, we all thought at the time, but, like, it's funny you go back and, like, where they were going with Cena. I mean, Triple H winning here would have been all-time bad. And, like, honestly, I mean, not to, you know, you know, take shots at your Chicago brethren, but like cheering for Triple H in 2006. I, mean, I think they would. Much... I think they would have cheered for anybody because yeah, okay. Just I mean, so that's what it is. I mean, I mean, yeah. how much do you have to hate John Cena to cheer for Triple 2006 I'm... Triple H? Some some people call Triple H the White Sox of wrestlers. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. The Ryan Pace of wrestlers. Yes, but um, Ryan Pace. Yeah. It, so. You know, and I'll, we'll get into this. I guess some big picture conclusions. Unless if anyone else has anything else specific on this match. I mean, just the only thing is it ends with the STFU. It seems oh. to kind of come out of nowhere. It's kind of a surprise finish. And I think maybe someone fucked up here because Hunter looks like he's he could reach the ropes. I don't know. He laid out too close to the ropes or something because he kind of reaches like he's going to go for the rope break and then he taps. And he, he's so close. Like if he would have just extended his arm, he clearly could have reached the ropes. So that looked like a little bit of a screw up to me, but I wasn't expecting that finish in person at the time. I don't think everyone was kind of stunned when it happened. Yeah, they span, you know, they show the crowd. I, I will say my favorite is there is this woman who is so happy and just starts talking bad shit. Yes, to the people. I that too. Like, <laughs> she was fired up. Yes, and she didn't give a damn about your fuck you Cena chance anymore. She was gonna let you know that John Cena won, and jokes on you, asshole. That's right. She does. She like points at all the people around her. That was great. Yeah, I did. So, okay, you're leaving the building. Ryan Drosty that night. What are your thoughts on John Cena and the future of the WWE? Like what you have to do with John Cena? Oh, I mean, I thought it for years that he had to have a heel run. And that's your, I mean, that's your gut instinct when you hear that crowd in person. And then when you see it, I feel, I I said this before, but like we had some pushback on pay-per-views, but it was like, this was the point where after this, like every crowd on pay-per-view, you always had the dueling chance and they were loud, you know, Cena sucks chance. I felt like this was the show that really springboarded that. It became like a cool thing to do. Yeah. Almost. And I'm totally with you. I remember going on that post show and just uh, for the podcast, I was doing and just ranting. You got to turn this guy heel tomorrow night. You can't have you can't have a babyface world champion getting reactions like this. And it's funny, they never did, obviously. And that mixed reaction, like you said, it just kind of becomes old hat. And so it was hard to evaluate the show at the time because you're getting this top babyface just so rejected by the live crowd. But with 15 years of hindsight, you're like, well, you know, Cena did his thing. You know, he sold tickets. He was popular for a lot of people. He wasn't popular that night, but he was popular to a lot of people. I think he did a good job over the course of his career. And it's kind of like you see this now 
and you take yourself out of the moment, you're like, yeah, okay, five people didn't like John Cena in that match. But what else is new? Mm. So I think that kind of helps us WrestleMania age a little bit better. Like, yeah. We'll never know for sure because they never did the the Cena heel run. And that's always going to be the thing where what would have happened? You know, what would that have done for the business? But, you know, what they did ended up working and just running with, yeah, some people like him, some people don't like him. And obviously Cena was a big draw. But, you, you know, to compare it to the modern era, you really do see how John Cena was a just, I guess, better professional wrestler than Roman Reigns in that regard. Because Roman had this moment. 11 years later in Orlando, that Raw where I, I was in the crowd and the reaction was nothing like I'd ever been mm-hmm. a part of. The, the, the Chan, fuck you, Roman. Mm-hmm. And Roman, like, well, well, you know, he never got the positive chance that Cena did, the amount, I think. You know, you talk, maybe it was 90-10 against Cena here, but, like, you look at, like, other shows during the course of 2006, 2007, there's a substantial part of that WWE audience that's cheering John Cena. And Roman, it, it never felt like it got to 50% with him. Yeah. He like didn't ever. have the kids like Cena did. Yeah, he, he just did it. So, I don't know. That, that's one reason, I think, because we just got used to Cena getting that reaction. Why maybe this mania uh, ages well. Another reason is, you know, I, I think at the time I called this a middle-of-the-road mania. You know, there's only 22 WrestleManias that take place. And that's probably true if I were to grade the first 22 Manias. But since this show, honestly, there haven't been many better Manias. I mean, you, you could argue the following two years, 23 and 24. I know people like those. There are people who like those shows. 30 and 31 for sure. Mm-hmm. 26 maybe. But like, you look at all the other Manias in the last 15 years, there's some dogs. Yeah. So, so I think that helps at age as well. I, I don't know if this is a top 10 mania, but it's top third. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and, it, you know, comparing it, this is something I teased on a previous program, comparing it to, you know, WrestleMania 19, which is a show that people love and would have like a lot of people have as like a tippy top WrestleMania. I'm not quite as high, but okay. Compare Cena Triple H to Lesnar Angle. Okay, it's not like a blowout, I don't think, for Lesnar Angle necessarily. I mean, you have a terrible botch at the end of that match. Mm. Take a shot it. You mentioned Sean and Vince is better than Hogan Vince. Um, you know, you got the secondary title matches are, uh, I'll, you know, as much as the Ray match had its issues, I'll take it over Triple H Booker T. Yeah. Yes. Sure. I mean, I mean, I'll take you know, I'll, you know, I'll take a freaking root canal over Triple H Booker <laughs> T. Uh, Foley Edge, it's kind of right there with Michaels Jericho, is it not? Yeah, yeah, uh, I would say better. Um, and then, you know, people might get on me for this, but you look at like that Austin Rock match at nineteen. Um, it didn't have much of a long lasting impact. It was just basically done so Rock could job to Goldberg the next month. Uh, RVD what his win at money, the bank did that meant a little more down the road, quite frankly, got a, you know, a memorable world title win mm-hmm. at one night stand. So, you know, you look at the big five of this show versus the big five of 19. I, I don't think it's a blowout for 19 by any means. I, I, I think this is safely WrestleMania 22, a second tier 
Mania along with 19. If you want to say 19 is better, that's fine. But I think they're on the same tier. That's me personally. I don't feel good about the fact that I think you might have just convinced me. What if I, I've, I told, I've been what a if, big 19 supporter. Well, what if I told you that for the last two weeks I've been working on that speech solely to convince you <laughs> because that's true. <laughs> I, I had that damn thing down to a T because I've been thinking for the last three days, I'm like, I'm getting just enjoyed on this. And I am oh, so happy right man. now that you just said that. I kind of want to cry. Uh, I was just going to say with the ranking though. So I put it neck and neck with 19. I think it's a better paper. It's a better show than 20. I would say. Uh, that's I think it's very comparable to 20. So at the time, I would have said it was worse. I would have too, yeah. But but I think you do have to do minus points for a double murder-suicide. Yeah. <laughs> a little-known fact, uh, according to Herb Koontz. I looked up some of the reviews at the time, and Slam Wrestling out of Canada said that this was a better show at the time than 21 the year earlier. I don't was, agree with that. I, I would take 21, but I think it's just below it neck and neck with 19 i'd say it's better than 20 and probably better than 18 don't you think oh yeah for sure yeah so I'm not, like i'm not a big fan of 18 yeah it's yeah it's so it's 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 aged pretty well i think and i think i probably underrated it at the time you know what for me that this is something else i was thinking about is you know sometimes i become a victim of my own thoughts with these WrestleManias, as you guys know, that when you compare w- what this mania in my head could have been versus what it was, I think it, it, it's kind of like right there. You know, it's pretty close. Whereas like to me, I have very, um, you know, uh, strong feelings on what WrestleMania is like 19 and 24 could have been. And those shows like fell well short of what I thought uh, the direction that they should have done. So I think that kind of affects, you know, with all this time elapsed where to me, I, I watch, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what else I would have done for 2006 WrestleMania. I, yeah. I, I, I go back and think about it. Yeah. You know, they wanted John Cena to be the face of the company. Having him beat Triple H clean with the, the STFU is the right call. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can't think of a bigger match that they could have done with Cena in the main event, quite frankly, unless they're going to bring up some outsider. If you just like go back 10 years, okay, so this is a better show than 11, it's a better show than 12, it's better than 13, it's better than 15, it's better than 16, it's better than 18. 14 is just such a historical show that I can't put it at a 14, or obviously 17, which is one of the best mm-hmm. ever, but... Yeah, you look at the like the previous ten years of WrestleManias, and more often than not, this was a better show. Yeah, and then the last fifteen, I think yeah. it, it certainly grades favor pretty favorably. So yeah, it's it's aged very well. I I think we could call it a, a underrated show. Better than any last five WrestleManias. Better than the I, one we're about to talk about probably in a couple of weeks. What I will say is, when I left the show that night, I told you at the very start of this two hours ago that it rained all weekend, and when we left. That was the biggest downpour of the weekend. It was pouring rain. And we were staying at a hotel just across the parking lot, which is a large parking lot. Um, and we sprinted out of there. And I, I just remember running across this parking lot with like massive puddles everywhere. And on the DVD release of this, if you happen to still own it, I know the post show that they aired on WWE.com is on there. And they show the parking lot like over and over and everyone running in the rain and just massive puddles everywhere. And that was like, 
that was that was a big disappointment that weekend for me is that the weather wasn't better and it really topped it off when we left mania that we had to sprint across a soaked pouring rain parking lot back to the hotel and like i said got up early next morning and drove back to iowa i think i might have the dvd i'll have to yeah look it up i'll have to find a dvd player and check it out yeah (laughs) it was pouring rain man so hey that was wrestlemania 22 this was a fun one to uh to relive with both of you guys fun to get what kyle's takes were because you were podcasting at the time the day of the show mm-hmm. me because i was there and justin because you kind of watched this with more fresh eyes than either of us since you were kind of out of it at the time so we got i think we hit all ends of the spectrum on this one we're Patron, finally thank even. you guys for uh for tuning in like you know we say this every month we love doing these bonus shows for you we spent more time on this than the uh the regular show we've been at this for jesus we got on zoom almost three hours ago now so we've been at this a while you know, it, you know, a small number of people will hear this, but it is worth it because you guys are supporting us the best way possible. Can't thank you enough for your financial support of what we're doing here at uh, Top Rope Nation. And I hope we're giving you your money's worth. I think we are. And pretty proud of the show we did tonight, guys. And if you guys enjoy it, let us know. Post about it in the in the Facebook group. Let all the people know that aren't patrons why this was a good show. And of course, comment on the post here on Patreon and let us know what you think. So with that, 2006 WrestleManias, it's in the books. WrestleMania 22, we've hit it from all ends. This has been Ryan, Kyle, and Justin. We'll see you next month for another edition of Top Rope Nation Classics. Take care. Peace.